everyone. Welcome to Between the Sheets Patreon Special Edition number 70. I'm your host, Chris Zona, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixen, Span, and Bix. It's time to close it out. Part four of Titan Gate 1992. And uh, wow, <laughs> the day we're recording this is the day that uh, on Monday, July 25th, 2022, that Triple H has been installed as the head of creative. Vincent Man made over $150 million today in stocks. <laughs> during the yes. <laughs> and it really, I mean, the other, I mean, the really important thing is it's the day the quarterly uh, 8K report came out where they basically said that. So WWE is claiming when people reach out that Vince paid his hush money payments himself, but that because it, it benefited the company, it doesn't really matter, I guess is what they're saying. And so his hush money payments are now being recorded as company spending, and they're redoing old books. So that explains, yes, that also we're recording this a few days after he announced his quote-unquote retirement, which is phrased as a resignation in the SEC filing as well. Yeah, but he made $150 million today. <laughs> yeah. So even when, even, even in adversity, this man still wins. <laughs> well, amazing. So. amazing how that works. So, yes, it's time to talk. Go back thirty years to nineteen ninety-two, part four, Titan Gate. We're gonna pick up where we left off in June. But uh, before we get started, Bix has uh, some things to say. So, Bix, I'm gonna throw it to you. Just real quick, you know, we'll we'll note it when we get to those specific sections, and there should be one in the description too. But Based on some of the articles and stuff that are in here, I'm going to give a little bit of more of a heavier content warning than we did on parts two and three, as far as that there are descriptions of abuse and stuff at times. But we'll, we'll preface those parts when we get there, too, as well. But just wanted to get that out of the way up front. Well, there you go. All right, so let's get started. Uh, so we're going to June 15th, week of Observer June 22nd. See, you, you just been calling both WWF and WCW about returning when the summer's over. WCW appears not to be interested, and Bill Watts has said as much numerous times publicly. WF also has said not to be interested, but as one official told Dave, the way everyone says no makes me think it's a yes. It's also not like WF doesn't need a new heel on top there in the fall. Well, we all know what happens here. He doesn't come back. So he sits up the rest of 92. Shows up in WCW in May 1993. So mm -hmm. there you go. Yeah, basically out, out of out of, basically out of wrestling for a full year. So pretty much, yeah. The latest casualty of the bad publicity involving WF is that the Hulk Hogan Vitamin Company declared Chapter 11 bankruptcy. For all the steroid publicity broke, Hogan's Vitamins were the fourth largest selling brand of children's vitamins. But the publicity in that vein was more obviously more of a negative than many have realized. Well, do you okay. think? Well, this, okay, so this is fourth largest, which now I'm trying to remember where the idea that it was the largest came from. Still, I mean, it's still impressive, but I mean, what do you expect? You know, say your prayers, take your vitamins. Oh, what kind of vitamins, orals, or injectables? Like, yeah. The steroid scandal and Hogan being tied to it was going to be the end of this. But was it really named the Hulk Hogan Vitamin Company? <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't think so. I don't think so either, no. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what who the parent company would have been. But I, don't the, I don't think it was named the Hulk Hogan Vitamin Company. 
I'm checking to see if there's a brand name on some of this stuff, like on WrestleCrap. Uh, let's see. Is there a brand name? Uh, it just says Hulk Hogan Vitamins. Yeah, these ads don't really have any, like, manufacturer or anything mentioned. Yeah, so... Maybe it was the Hulk Hogan Vitamin Company. <laughs> Amazing. All right, Lee Cole was on Rick Carter and Bill Kunkel's wrestling radio show from Las Vegas on Sunday and talked in a lot more specifics and in more detail about the various events regarding WF scandals. Cole told about the legal depositions from former Ring Boys Chris Lowe's, who no longer talk publicly about the subject, which seems as if a settlement was reached, and redacted because he never went public himself. A new name from Niagara Falls. Redacted talked about similar incidents to what has come forward elsewhere in his deposition, and said that when he worked at WrestleMania in Toronto, that he slept in his hotel room with a knife by his bed because he was afraid of being abused. Cole identified his friend Steve as Steve Bradley. No, not Steve Bradley, the wrestler. Although there was nothing new other than him insisting that they had proof in the form of airline and hotel receipts of Titan flying Bradley to Connecticut, which Cole claimed to remove him from the picture. Cole also read certain passages from the contract his brother signed with WF, which was a settlement of the gripe. In the contract, it stated that Terry Garvin and Mel Phillips are no longer employed by Titan Sports, and that Titan Sports agrees to re not reinstate them. The contract also stated that Titan, what Tom, that what Tom Cole said was a verified complaint, which is basically admitting belief that when Cole said publicly, which got all the media publicity true. Despite all the public denials about these stories, it's all being a bunch of bunk. In addition, Tom Cole was promised to try out as a ring announcer within six months, and if he does well to try it, will be offered a job as a full-time ring announcer which may explain his eagerness to return to the company. A television station in Utica is doing a half-hour special on the subject on June 18th, which we kind of talked about in the last show. Um, well, I mean, they don't bring Terry Garner and Mel Phillips back, so they they kept that promise. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like we went over most of this last time. Um, I mean, look... I. It, they absolutely flew Steve Bradley in to Titan Towers. I have those same receipts and all that. Um, Lee Cole was arrested out of the blue on this long outstanding warrant that probably should have been cleared sooner a few days later. And despite being brought in on this probation violation, the whole thing and his probation are completely discharged like a couple days after he's arrested. So... His version, where this should have been cleared because he had paid restitution and it just didn't get recorded properly, I buy it. At least, as, you know, that much I think is clear. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been released from it right away. Um, WWE involvement? I mean, I certainly get where he's coming from. I did talk to Steve. He, the way he says it, they didn't outright tell him to do this. It was more Tom that was like, I'll pay you this money if you do this as far as calling the police about Lee. But I certainly see where you can draw the connection. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's more you can even really say that, than that anyway. Yeah. Well, let's move on to uh, the week of June 22nd. Three count on June 23rd. Torch, June 25th. Charleston Post Courier, June 28th. And Observer, June 29th. Let me start with Torch. <clears throat> Titan get hit the airwaves on ABC affiliate Channel 7 in Utica, New York, where John Arezzi hosts a half-hour special program with Lee Cole, Cole's friend Steve Bradley. A pre-recorded comments from both Bruno Sammartino and Barry Orton. 
Steve Platamena, their spokesperson, refused to comment until after seeing the show. The Cole, or the brother of Tom, WF Ring Boy, is speaking out against uh, WWF. Tom Cole may become ring announcer WWF and told Resi days earlier that he's been happy since his return to WWF. <clears throat> Cole stood out of court with WWF after claiming he was sexually abused by top officials. Pat Patterson, Terry Garvin, and Mel Phillips remain out of WWF after resigning over those and other allegations. Arezzi's TV special may air in other markets in New York and around the country. I don't think that happened. No, it did not. Um, and we we don't have anything of this, do we? No, all? I've asked around in the past. John thought he had a copy. Last I had checked, he could not find it. Um, I know when I... That seems like something that, seems like something that John Arezzi, knowing John, would have readily available. It's a, it's a TV special host by him. I mean, I'm sure he had a copy. It may just be it got lost in movies. It's possible, and stuff. but yeah. But still, I mean, it was a TV special. Well, yes. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Steve remembered it as being a "this is what led to him being brought to Titan Towers." Obviously, the timeline does not seem to work for that. Um, he could just be remembering. Maybe. Well, no, the radio shows are all after Lee got brought in, though. Granted, a lot of time had passed, so there, there's more I could get into as far as his memory, but I mean, I'm, I'm curious then what the actual catalyst would have been then if it wasn't this, since it seems like all the media is after he went on that trip, but I'm just curious to see this special either way. Yeah. But we have more from the torch. Yeah, I'm just interested that this is just wasn't around a tape trading and nothing like that. You know, no. this other stuff I mean, I think it only aired in Utica, but. Yeah. All right. Uh, due to court order, neither Murray Hodgson and Titan Sports can comment on the June 18th depositions involving Hodgson's lawsuit on Titan Sports. Hodgson told Torch Weekly he is waiting for both sides' attorneys to decide when, if ever, the content of the depositions can become public record. Hodgson has been countersued by WF for filing a wrongful lawsuit. That's a part that so doesn't usually get talked about. <laughs> <laughs> so the depositions uh, have been done, as we were talking about on the last show. So there you go. Yes, Murray's lawyer has quit during the deposition. <laughs> quit. He quit. He quit, yes, yeah. because Murray apparently got caught in so many lies under oath. Shocking. All right, excerpt from the briefly section of Three Count. Interesting news from another New York wrestling radio show. Vicious Vincent's World of Wrestling, or show by Vince Russo, had his first show with WWE performers June 19th at a WWE show in Long Island. Russo had Howard Finkel and Kurt Hanning on as guests. Russo's show was also plugged on the arena scoreboard. Okay. I'd be curious to know if those are ads he bought or if it was part of an arrangement. I would say part of the arrangement. Probably, because Russo... While the show while the show existed, he was also the host of the official WWF wrestler dinners they did at Nassau. Where so he uh, he was Joel Goodhart, kind of, but it was like in the restaurant at the Coliseum or something like that. I forget. It was either for like fifty or a hundred dollars. You got a fr- you got a ringside ticket and a dinner with a with at least I think one wrestler that was joining the fans who paid for it. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, all right. So, uh, 1992 is probably uh, 
maybe Tito Santana. So, so somebody that's lower down the card, I'm sure. Yes. Well, okay. I remember a story, which at the time I did not believe, but obviously became more credible over the years. Um, a kid at school who went to them but was sometimes prone to tall tales spoke of Shawn Michaels falling asleep in his food. Um, that, however, sounds more legitimate than it did to me as a child. Yeah, but why would they have the heel eating with the fans? Ah, because the Vicious Vincent was a pro uh, Ric Flair uh, program. Well, I guess. Among other things. Shocking, huh? Yes. Oh, and All by right, the way, uh, if you want if you want to hear the Vicious Vincent shows, they've been going up on a Rezzy's Patreon. <laughs> All right, Observer Television ratings for the for for us once again had all time low for the weekend of June thirteenth to the fifteenth. The average of the various wrestling shows was slightly lower than the depth set several weeks back. The two WS shows, Primetime two point All American one point seven, drew a combined rating lower than any time in history. WCW didn't fare any better. World Championship Wrestling, the first Bill Watts show, fell to a 1.8, while main event did a 2.0. And Power Hour, the lone show that, for unexplained reasons, had stayed strong while other shows were dropping, fell to 1.3, and WBF Body Stars did a 0.5. These decreases also mirrored in syndicated ratings for both groups. And come September, with an increase in the number of paid commercial programs and Saturday morning time slots, wrestling has, uh, wrestling has in many markets. Combined with the weakened ratings, both groups would be hard-pressed not to wind up with a significant weakening of their syndicated television networks. Yeah, I kept most of the business stuff out, you know, because a lot of it ends up just being the same, attendance dropping, attendance dropping, attendance dropping kind of stuff. But <sighs> this shows you just how bad the timing of the scandals were because, okay, when I was a kid, I always noticed that there started to be a lot more infomercials around this time, even though the law changed in, when was it, like mid-80s that allowed infomercials? Yeah, and, and we talked about this on the main show. Talk about how this is the rise of what, amazing discoveries and all that yes. stuff. You know, Ian and all the people he would have on. And I mean, it just, yeah, I mean, I remember, I mean, I, Saturday morning, my dad, he would be watching these damn things, you know, watching these crazy infomercials. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a thing in the 90s, absolutely. But what what On Saturday mornings. But what changed in 92 that Dave is talking about it, here? Because the I, law changed when? I think it's when? when it started getting hot. It started, started getting hot. Okay. So, so I remember this is the era in, in the in the mid early mid-90s. This is the I, it's era. when I remember first starting to notice them, yeah. That's what a lot of people started watching them. Tommy Wu. You know, and all this, and all these other infomercials that were, you know, share um, and uh, what was the one share did? Oh. oh, was it? It was one of the psychic things, wasn't it? Or... Something. Share had one that she did because this is also the time period when that stuff's getting spoofed on like SNL, Living, Living Color, and yeah. those types of shows. So I mean, it's hot. Infomercials got hot. Yeah. So this time period, and people were watching them. So. If wrestling ratings are dropping and infomercials are getting hot, then what What do you think? And it's paid. So what do you think the uh, this TV series are going to go to? Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> so. excuse me. It was Lori Davis hair. Lori Davis. There we go. Yes. Where oh – God, who was it? I think it, it may have been SNL that did that because they had Chris Farley play Lori Davis. Oh, Ed Week has an article from three years ago how infomercials almost yes. ruined Cher's career. Yes, Chris Farley played Lori Davis 
on their uh, on their SNL skits because <laughs> Sora Davis was a large woman, <laughs> and yeah, it was hilarious. A lot of those infomercials were so fucking funny for the for the you know not for the right reasons. It was hilarious to watch. So anyway, crazy times. Thirty years ago, Jesus. I right, Dr. Dr. Joel Saharian is going to be working and speaking with the teenagers on the harmful effects of steroids. The most harmful of which is that if you're caught distributing them, you can wind up in jail. Saharian also said he's going to tell about all of his involvement in either a book or in magazine articles. Oh, of course he will. <laughs> he's done. He's done his time. He's ready to talk. Yeah, of course yeah. he is. Oh, as we're recording a new Wall Street Journal story draft. Uh, oh, I, I noticed that. I noticed that about 15 minutes ago. Okay, you so, saw it before I did, but yeah, uh, it's, uh, I retweeted it, it out. Nothing, yeah. nothing we wouldn't have expected based on the SEC filing today about uh, SAC and federal prosecutors investigating the, the hush money payments. Yeah. This is just the specifics of what everyone kind of gleaned from the SEC filings earlier in the day. Yeah. All right. So, excerpt from motorcycle accident knocks Luger out of action by Mike Mooneyham for the Charleston Post-Courier. The fear of alleged wrongdoings in WF appears to have subsided for the moment, but the war of wars continues. New York Post columnist Phil Mushnick, whose series of articles earlier this year took dead aim at Vincent Mann and his organization, has continued to draw criticism from WF headquarters. I haven't heard from him for in a while, so I don't know whether that means he's conjuring up new stories or not, says Steve Planamena. Every time he could draw... Every time he can, he draws us in to take shots at us. That the New York Post promotes sensationalism is a grave understatement. It should be on the racks with a National Enquirer. Planet whose organization over the past several months has been scrutinized several major newspapers and television forums, such as 2020, CBS Evening News, Donahue, Geraldo, and Not To Be Told, admits that a variety of charges AMW has made for sensational copy. This stuff has been pretty ripe for the tabloids, Funny Man said. It's got celebrities, allegations of drug use, allegations of sexual misconduct. Perfect for the tabloids. But once it's run through the tabloids, what else is left? There's not a whole lot of substance to this stuff. And there wasn't to begin with. And people finally start realizing this is crap, then it all starts to go away. There's a story out there, and if someone thinks they can make a buck by telling a story, writing a story, broadcasting a story, they'll do it. We had our 15 minutes of infamy. And now the tabloids have moved on to their next victim. Planamena labeled me the reports, which have dealt, dealt with charges ranging from drug abuse to sexual harassment as post-Watergate journalism. What, what, what does that mean? <laughs> Post-Watergate journalism. I guess he's I guess he's trying to compare it to... I don't know. Uh, I don't know. A thing like, where the people were guilty? Yeah. Well, oh, I, I, I get, I get, no, I get what he's saying. He, he, I guess he's trying to say it's, it's going to, you know, how everybody went after Nixon. Because here's his next line. It was like a feeding frenzy where anybody who had anything bad to say about WF was given a form, he said. Kind of like everybody went after Nixon. Okay. It was it snowballed, but there wasn't a lot of substance to some of it. That's not to say there wasn't anything there. That certainly wasn't the case. But we think we've gotten our house in order. Plan Man said the organization as of yet has faced no repercussions from the advertisers. We've had the problems with sponsors, not a one, knock on wood. I think part of the reason is because we've responded to the problems. It's not a matter of getting our critics to take us seriously, but they're the ones who don't want to take us seriously because they can't write nasty stories about us or do pieces on Geraldo. I'm sure someone else will come up with a new lie at some point just to keep it going. I think the next thing they're going to come out 
is Vince and Hulk were involved in the Kennedy assassination. That's my gut feeling. We've been accused of everything else other than the murder. After that, well, move on to the drought in Africa and the hole in the ozone. They'll say the light reflecting off Titan Towers is damaging the ozone. <laughs> what what a plan a minute. He's something else. What an amazing display of projectile word vomiting that was as that went especially that last part went on. <laughs> He, Steve Plenaman is uh, never afraid to be to have candor. I tell you that. Could you imagine them having someone like this in charge of PR as a public company? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, imagine him. Imagine him in this whole situation we got now. And you know where they were. Vince was like, "Fuck them," and all this other stuff. And he's going to fight. And then all of a sudden, here we are. I mean, there's this. <laughs> There's a lot. It's about it's about the break, and that's why things are happening like they're happening. Mm-hmm. So, Steve Planet Minimum. If you would, if you, if you had somebody like him out now that was being so defiant, and all of a sudden this happens, yeah, you really look like a damn idiot. <laughs> so, I mean, here's the thing with this though: is he wrong? Which because, part? I mean. They, they really didn't have any backlash from their advertisers off of this. That we know of. Uh, they the tabloids moved on to the next thing. This is about to go away. It's starting to go away. If this actually, you know, getting this. Oh, that side of it, he's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, in this whole thing, I mean, he's on the money. It's on a lot of things here, you know. So. But again, you know, it takes people to say things and people to be out there and be up front. You know, and even though Rita Shatterton is out there at this time as someone credible, you know, you need a lot more to go with that. And this, this is the whole thing that's going on now is that's what it takes. It takes people to come out there and put their faces out there and say, hey, this is what's happened. This is what I've been through. And... I mean, we should know, I mean, the reason that Vince had to step down, I mean, it's not the allegations of the misconduct, it's the hush money. It's seemingly why and the legal implications of that more than anything else. Um, And, And think about how stupid it is that this man decided to pay his hush money out from the company. Well, they're saying that it, he paid it himself, but he, but it's doesn't make it's a distinction without a difference because it's benefiting the company, basically. Yeah, but it's on the company books. Why not take it out of your personal? Well, account? they're putting it on the company books now. I know it's confusing, but I mean, either way, though, we also know what the paralegal that he gave her this mysterious rate, du- you know, double raise. So. Excuse me, 100% yeah. raise, I should say, is the better way to put it. So, it, how do I put this? Even if you had Mario Mancini with Rita Chatterton in 1992, though, it's a different time, and the venue was talk shows and There's, all that. Yeah. So, it's I don't different. know how much of a difference it would have made even to have the stronger version of the story at the time. It's different. It is. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's that, for sure. But, yeah. 
right. Excerpts from John Arendt's response to Alex Marvez's recent Vince Russo interview in the letters of pages three count. About the three-hour conversation with Dave Meltzer, him and I, all we tried to do was explain why I should have covered the steroid symposium. Dave can attest to this. He also said Dave and I told him everything Dave was said was lies. This is simply not true. The bottom line is Russo wanted to go to that symposium alone for reasons that are clear to me now. Just listen to his radio show to hear why that solo invitation was so important to him. He claims 99% of my calls are WF related, and I cut kids off on the phone. Did he ever listen to the show? My calls generally ask about WCW, with WF getting a fair share of the calls, but not more than 25%. I cut people off when they ask questions that have already been answered during the program. And that's absolutely true from both my memory from as a kid and when I've listened to the older shows on the Torch side and when John's put them up and stuff. Like, it was mainly a WCW-centric show a lot of the time. That's why Vicious Vincent's World of Wrestling ends up standing out, because it's so much more WWF-heavy. Besides the, the tone of the show being different, too, it was also a much more heavy WWF-centric show. His claims being a journalist make me laugh. This guy doesn't know who he is. One week he's booking midget wrestlers on the radio show to talk about sexual harassment at WWF and then conducting a stinging interview with Ken Patera about the group. And the next day, he says he's an entertainment critic. Then he says he's a mark. He is whatever will give him the most acceptance in the business on a given day. Yep, and I think we covered this last time. That, like, if you feel so strongly about this, why did you even do the Patterson midget wrestler story? He blasts Phil Mushnick, yet he wrote some very critical stuff on Titan Sports himself until he went to the symposium and got sucked into the deception machine. He should be ashamed to mention himself in the same sentence as Phil Mushnick. I could go on and on. The bottom line is Mr. Russo's a lying opportunist. He saw an opportunity to get involved with wrestling without me and grabbed it. Told me one story about why he wanted in, yet having a hidden agenda. He saw an opportunity where he met Vincent Mank and grabbed it. He insisted I move radio stations and would not invest in the smaller WGBBAM, forcing me to move to WEBDAM. They broadcast Vincent's Vincent's World of Wrestling there each week. <laughs> I apologize to every listener on my show, every subscriber to every newsletter and publication for introducing this guy to the wrestling public. He has caused me a great deal of professional and personal embarrassment. Mr. Russo, you have to get up every morning as I do and look at yourself in the mirror. I know in my heart that you are a deceitful liar. I don't think I've ever despised anyone more than I despise you. You should be very happy now that you're in tight with WWF. Do what you do, but don't call yourself a journalist. If you are not on WWF payroll, you should be. Little did John Renzi know what Vince Russo would be doing to the wrestling world. Yeah, I know. That really stuck out to me when I put this in the notes. So everybody, thank John Renzi for, um, for the last part of the last few years of the 90s, 2000s, um, 2000 WCW, TNA. I thought, we, I thought we settled on blaming Andrew Goldberger at some point in the series for introducing them, but... Well, he 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 was the conduit. <laughs> Poor John. Yeah. Um, and, who would have known? No. Who would have known, no. known that Vince Russo would become, you know, one of the most pivotal figures in wrestling? Yep. Nobody would have known that. No. And also, you know, whatever you think of Russo, a lot of it is deserved. I mean, I'm glad he and John have been able to let go of everything and get along now. Yeah. Hey, I mean... You got you, you gotta let go. You know, I mean things happen. What's the past? The past. You know, you gotta let go sometimes. Can't hold grudges. You never know what might happen. So 
people change, people grow, grow up. I mean, Russo's still Russo in a lot of ways, but, you know. Yeah. But anyway. All right. So let's move on to the week of June 29th. Observer or July 6th. Wrestling Flyer Interview Collection, Volume 1. Former WF wrestler Paul Roma was interviewed in John Clark's Wrestling Flyer newsletter. Roma talked openly about sexual harassment. In the dressing room, saying Jim Powers had told him a sexual advancement was his reason for quitting. and said he and Powers were originally put together to keep, the, to keep Powers' mouth shut. When Clark asked Roma if he was ever approached in a sexual manner, he talked about an incident happening in the, in the home of one of the higher-ups, but said it only happened once, and he turned it down, and it was never brought up again. Roma claimed he and Hercules would have been tag chance if he had accepted the offer. All right, let's go to the interview. It was reprinted in the first Wrestling Flyer interview collection, since we don't have the original issue it appeared in. All right, John Clark. All right, yeah, I got to be John Clark, I guess. Am I finding you in an airport? <laughs> well, you're maybe you're uh, anchoring on the Philly News now. I don't know. All right, let's see. Did Pat Patterson ever approach you in a sexual manner? Yes. It happened right in his own home. I was over there with some of his friends and people that I knew from the company. We got together because he wanted to become better acquainted. During the party, I was inside the house with Pat and his friend Louie, Pat's boyfriend. Pat sat down next to me on the couch and started telling me about if I played around with a certain executive, my career would advance. He kept telling me, do you understand what I'm saying, Paul? I was like, yeah, sure, but I never did anything about it, and he never mentioned it again. What do you think you would have accomplished if you had accepted the offer? Me and Herc would have been tag champs, no doubt about it. To this day, Herc is still teasing me about it and says to me, if you had only taken that piece of ass, it would have been champs. <laughs> I got to say, that's so much funnier if you picture it in Hercules' voice. <laughs> Here's the thing about that one, though. Roma had been in the company for five years with Hercules. Yeah. You it know, was the biggest I mean, push he'd gotten so far, though. Yeah, but... Wouldn't you think that Pat would have been more on him earlier? But he's saying it's the, not that Pat was propositioning him. It was that Pat was telling him to sleep with someone else. Yeah, I guess. Which, I mean, are we to assume this is Terry Garvin that he was saying he suggested he sleep with? It, I feel like if he was saying Terry Garvin that Paul would have said it, though, right? Yeah. Oh, it's a weird one. It it is uh, because he's not. Why would? But why would? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Pat saying it like that. I mean, he's being coy about it. So it's that's weird. a weird one. Because why is Paul also playing coy about who the other guy is? In the event that it's a like well, a, it was a rib and he wasn't in on it. I mean, I know I, we're all, we're saying it's a guy, and it pretty much has to be a guy because he's somebody executive, but. He didn't, At the he, time, it, yeah. the, the wording says just executive, though. It didn't say where was the guy or not. So yeah, I don't know who that would have been at the time that there would have been if there would have been any female executives other than. I don't, yeah, Linda. I don't think there would have been other than Linda. But and I don't even who knows what that you know who knows if there's some type of Vince and Linda you know thing. Oh, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be something that came out that they were you know swinging swinging with wrestlers and stuff. I, I I don't see that being the case, but I, I I believe Roma. I just don't know what to make of it. Yeah, so it's all very weird. Well, let's keep going. 
Well, let's move on to July now. We get July the 6th, three count, July 7th, torch, July 9th, observer, July 13th. Update on legal situations. Marie Hodgson and Laurie Ednos bomb went to Splitsville this last week, which seems to mean that man's countersuit strategy blew him out of the water. They never talked about any more Rita Chatterton's attorney, Robert Wolf, dropped her as a client because with the statute of limitations having long run out on her claim, the only legal action that could be taken is class action, and he needed what they believe five clients to do, so it only got two. Chatterton has it backed away from the claims she made on television. No word on the status of the U.S. Justice Department investigation. Here's what's super timely about this. Uh, I'd have to check exactly when it was. They recently passed the New York Adult Victims Act, basically as a follow-up to when they did the Child Victims Act, to where there was like a one-year, and I think because of the pandemic, became two-year period, where you could sue despite past statute of limitations having passed and stuff. And it happened in New York. So if she wanted to, which I don't think it seems like she does, but if she wanted to, Right now, in 2022, she could pursue legal action, civilly. Hell, I would. I mean, this man just made $150 million today. <laughs> Why not? You know? God damn. And now that we know she yeah. has Mario Mancini, you know, backing her up, yeah. Why not? I guess so. It, you know, so, I mean, you can't blame Robert Wolf though. There's nothing really he could have done. No, no. All right. Um, three count. So, yeah, three count. Sorry. Murray Hodgson, the former deputy announcer, is suing the group for wrongful termination of contracts and no longer retaining Connecticut based Ed Dustbaum as attorney. Hodgson said the two have split over litigation proceedings in Hodgson's suit, and he's now considering three other attorneys. Hodgson gave a sworn deposition concerning his suit, June 26th, at WF offices in Stanford, Connecticut. Split over litigation proceedings? Those are just mm -hmm. words. Mm -hmm. Like, what? Alex, I know you're he basically jumped. a child at this point, but come on. Torch, there was organized picketing the protest against the WF based on the Titan Gate scandals with signs saying WF abuses kids, among other signs of Poughkeepsie last week. To which WF Russell responded by forcing them away temporarily with a speeding car. The WF complained to the police, who had been informed ahead of time, and protected the protesters' rights to be at the arena. Much more on that later. Back to Alex Marvez. The WF's with Steve Plenamento was also at a loss of how to explain why the British Bulldog six-week suspension was cut short so he appeared on WF television taping in late May. I don't know. Plenamento said tersely, I don't deal with talent decisions. Uh, <laughs> 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 I I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All right, we get July 13th, three count July 14th, Miami Herald July 15th, Torch July 16th, Observer July 20th, and three count Miami Herald both by Alice Marvez, but of course they're different things. All right, WFN Federal Investigation by Alice Marvez of the Miami Herald. The World's Federation is under investigation by the federal government on allegations of sexual abuse in minors and illegal transportation of minors across state lines. According to several sources close to the investigation, the U.S. Attorney's Office of the Eastern District of New York is focusing on two former WF employees, Mel Phillips, a longtime ring announcer and head of the promotion's ring assembly crew, and Terry Garvin, a matchmaking assistant. Mary Jo White, the chief U.S. Assistant Attorney of Eastern New York, went on confirming an investigation was being conducted. Their spokesman Steve Planeman was unavailable for comment. Oh, now, now he's unavailable for comment. That's rare. Now, we have more from Three Count. Um, 
basically he began with his Miami Herald slash syndicated piece and then added more. So yes, let's go to an excerpt now from WWF being investigated by Alex Marvez, three count editor. Third attorney Jeremy Davis said, I've been advised by the appropriate authorities that Titan Sports is not a subject or target of the investigation, nor any of its officers or principals. Tom Cole and these three other former crew members are interviewed by the attorney's office within the past three weeks, sources said. A 15-year-old from Brooklyn who said Phillips molested him at a show in Long Island in 1991 will likely speak with the attorney's office later this week. The 15-year-old, Lee Cole, or the brother Tom Cole, and Cheryl Vasquez were guests July 12th on Rick Carter and Bill Kunkel's Rustalk radio show. Vasquez, 45, led a demonstration outside the show of Poughkeepsie two weeks ago. The 15-year-old also described the situation of Phillips' claims with the investigation and his alleged meeting with Vincent Mann prior to the Donahue show on Wrestling March 16th. Transcripts of the 15-year-olds and Vasquez's appearances will appear in next week's three count. Um, we end up having the Cheryl Vasquez transcript, but not the Barney transcript. But we will have Barney, uh, excuse me, the transcript of Barney talking to John Arezzi later. But so more, yes, Barney is who we're talking about here. Yes, so more on that now from the Observer. Rick Carter and Bill Kunkel's Rustalk Radio Show in Las Vegas this past Sunday interview Cheryl Vasquez, the 45-year-old upstate New York housewife who picketed the, the Titan matches last week at Poughkeepsie. Vasquez claimed that one of the cars driven by Derek Rustler when he arrived to the building and saw a protest and tried to run her over. Where did that was? She also said that WWF wrestler's name she wouldn't mention, but said it was one of the biggest stars in the company, was very friendly and apologized for the behavior of some of the other wrestlers. Well, now let's talk, the, let's talk about Barney. Also in the show was an interview with a minor who made some claims about an incident he claims happened to him in January 1991 at the Nassau Coliseum when he was 13 years old. Because he was underage, he was called Barney on the show, which is not his real name. Although within Inside Wrestling Circles, his real name is well-known. Interesting. Titan lawyer Jeremy Demick contacted him twice a day after he appeared on the show. He also is the same person who was in the audience during the Donahue show that many of you remember wearing a Lex Luger t-shirt and brought up Barry Orton's being in jail and said that Bruno Sorrentino was bitter because Vincent Mann fired his son David. Well, nice of David to go ahead and basically tell everybody who that was. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which we know that, but still, I mean... I think it was said, oh, mentioned in the Wrestle Talk thing, though. Well, okay, but still, that's crazy. He claimed the radio show to have had a conversation before the Donahue show with a man, where a man told him negative things about several members of the Donahue show panel, and told him to say as much as he could about what he told him if he could get on the air. He's been unable to get any response from Titan Sports regarding what happened on the radio show, although Barney came forward with this story actually two months ago. Although this was the first time any media outlet had broken the story, and said both on the Wrestle Talk interview and his original statement was to go about my man telling him to contact Steve Planamena. We had contacted Planamena at that time and said he never heard of the person. The story didn't even make any sense. They especially in the two, by the end of the next two weeks, it will become clear whether the story is fraudulent or become a major news story for reasons it wouldn't be fair to get into right now. All right, it's we're up to Barney. I mean, you know, we'll have the full detailed in his own words version later. Um... Look, I mean, if nothing else, it he was clearly put there as a plant on Donnie. I don't think there's any arguing with that, right? Yes. You know, we played that in part one, and it's like, where would he have, like, why would he even be asking those specific questions? Yeah, exactly. Um, what Bruno say to him? Oh, do you want me to pull up the, uh, 
I'll pull up the I, I thought something about what was it? Sit down, Sonny. A funny boy. Yeah, something like that. He was condescending to him. Um, you don't know what you're talking about, dog, dog on it. Oh wait, here we go. Okay, I have the transcription. That was easy to pull. I'll, I'll read the whole thing. Um, first of all, I think it's a shame that seven of the people on the six of the people on the panel, with the exception of Mr. Meltzer, are sitting there accusing Mr. McMahon, who so far has done nothing wrong. Mr. O, I know you've been in jail. Mr. San Martino, your son was fired under very suspicious circumstances. And then some, it says panelist, I think Dave says that has no relevance. And then how can you sit here and accuse Mr. McMahon uh, of, of personal vendettas? And if, yeah, Dave keeps saying none of that has any relevance. And then Bruno says, you don't know what you're talking about, Sonny. When you grow up, maybe you'll understand a little bit. <laughs> Talk on it. And as we'll get into later, what he he said was that he contacted them. They said to talk to Vince at Donahue, with the idea being that, oh, there are going to be all these people lying so people won't believe you about being abused by Mel Phillips at the Nassau Coliseum unless you help expose these liars. I mean, we have more details later. Into, I mean, I think there's something there. It, I... Why, why else would this kid who had been a plant even be telling this story otherwise? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess we'll, we'll save more discussion of this for when we get to the full thing later. Um, but, I don't know. Let's, let's, All right, well. Let's, yeah, let's, we I, go, guess, let's I mean, we're about to get now. into it, so yeah. let's continue this. All right, Dave has had a hot shot PR firm run by Howard Rubenstein of Manhattan to try and boost their image problems based on what came out in the past and what may, what may come out in the future with some new articles in the works. And uh, the torch following the depositions in a conversation with Murray Hodgson seemed defensive and less confident in past conversations with him. So perhaps something came out of the deposition that damaged his case because of WWF. Oh, you think? Oh, I'd say. Oh, I'd say that, that happened. All right, so let's go to the week of July 20th, three count July 24th, from server July 27th. The Sports Digest, the Sports Brief sections, and meeting newspaper, uh, newspapers around the country this past Wednesday was a three-paragraph item sent by Alex Marvez, a three-count newsletter about the WFB NFL investigation and the various allegations that have been floating around the past few months. Although this isn't a new story, it's been reported here several times, this was the first mainstream media acknowledgement of the investigation. Well, Dave, you kind of buried the lead every time you mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. You just kind of threw it in a, a couple times that they were being investigated. <laughs> yes. I, I think you kind of should have realized that them being investigated by the DOJ was a big deal and made that the story. You would think so. All right, well, let's talk about Barney. The 15-year-old referred to as Barney appeared on last weekend's Rick Carter and Bill Kunkel's Rustalt Radio Show in Las Vegas. He claimed to have been a plant and requested to say certain derogatory things about panels on the Phil Donahue show. Some months back was a subject of more disclosure Saturday night on John Aranzi's purpose by the radio show in New York. On the Las Vegas radio show, Barney, who was not an ex-ring boy, but was a Boy Scout attending a house show at Nassau Coliseum and claimed he had been sexually abused after he had gotten backstage with his troop, which tried to meet his favorite wrestler, Bret Hart. When Carrie Von Erich instructed him to talk with Mel Phillips to get to meet Bret, thanks, Carrie. A resident this past Saturday night talked about the incident when Barney first contacted him back on May 24th with his story, which a few people behind the scenes have known about since then, but just went public over the past week. 
Nicole, who admitted on the show having a personal vendetta against McMahon, was on the same show in the studio and claimed that spoken with 10 other people has similar stories and claimed that personal knowledge of 20 and said another person about to come forward. Cole was the other brother of Tom Cole, the former WF Ring boy whose story broke this entire story national. The younger Cole sold WF before the lawsuit was fired and was hired on as a ring attendant and is now estranged from his older brother. WF spokesman Steve Planamena said on Friday it's physically impossible this individual could have met with Vince. Planamena said there was someone with my man at all times before the Donahue show. Nicole, who was backstage with Vince before the stage show, claimed there was a 20-minute period where my man left, and so he had to take care of some business. He claims after talking with Barney, it was the same period where Barney claimed to have met with McMahon and claims the man told him derogatory things to say if he could get on the air about members of the panel, which he did, and also claimed the man specifically told him not to say anything to get myself mad. Planamena said there was no way this could have happened, and so they were limited by the producers to four people in the audience. Lee, Tom Cole, Linda McMahon, and Elizabeth Poffo during the show, and there was no way they could have snuck in a stooge. He had the story, but so did Murray Hodson, Planamena said. In reference to the former death announcer, whose lawsuit was apparently sent into disarray at the depositions a few weeks back and a countersuit by McMahon. While the Hodgson depositions are still sealed by a court order, many in Titan have talked more confidently regarding the case since the depositions. Planamena also said that Barney never contacted him after the Donahue show, as was claimed on a Utica New York television show. Barney still in the Vegas show that he called Titan as Planamena, but wasn't put through to him, but was given a message to crawl under a rock. Someone's lying in the mix, said Planamena. I can tell you that because I never told anyone to crawl under a rock. My suspicion is this entire situation is going to come to a head within the next two or three weeks, one way or another. Thoughts? <sighs> well, I mean, if, if Barney told Arezzi the time period that he's supposed to talk with a man, and Arezzi knows that, or not Arezzi, was uh, Cole, Lee Cole. And Lee Cole knows that's around the same time period that Vince disappeared. That adds up. Yes, and like I said before, anything Lee Cole has ever said to me that, that I could ever try to prove has been truthful. So, I mean, it's, it's very possible that that, that, that happened. They plan a saying there's some that Vince is around people at all times. Well, maybe there was a time that he wasn't around people, you know? Mm-hmm. It's very, 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 very possible that you know what we're talking about happened as is, you know, what Barney's saying. Now, how about the, the thing I'm gonna tell you about this is fucking Carrie Von Eric. Tell him to explicitly go to Mel Phillips. Yeah, that's not good. No yeah. You think you would think that there would be other people that you could get in touch with to try to hook to do that, you know, try to get him the chance to meet Bret Hart, you know? Yeah, Mel Phillips, I'll, knowing it's a thirteen-year-old boy, I'm I'm gonna guess that Carrie may also be back off the wagon already by this point. I mean, it's very possible, but that's <clears throat> wow. That's the thing. The big, the big thing come out of this to me is that. Uh, yeah. Um. Trying to think anything else to add for now, or to save it for when we get the Arezzi transcript from May when he runs it. Um. Anything else? Because ha- I'm trying to think. Because I have also, um, I have. I was told Phil Mushnick told me I could use this if I ever wanted to. I have an internal memo from Phil Mushnick's lawyers from September '93 of various witness interviews, including Barney. 
Um, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything I should mention here, if I should save it for later. I'll, I'll save it for later when we actually hear it in his own words. Well, um, again, you know, you know what's coming up. I don't. So. Right. Right. So I'll, I'll well, I'll, I'll save some of the other stuff for then. But so let's move on for now, I guess, to, uh, to this about Hogan. All right. Hulk Hogan appeared on the entertainment tonight this past Thursday to push his latest movie. Didn't see it, but those who did were literally shocked at how Hogan's body has changed, looking so small, and even with a big weight drop, lacking lack muscle definition. People, people estimate his weight at 235 pounds, although Dave's told 250 is closer to it. Well, yeah. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's not wrestling right now, so yeah, he's going to drop. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It was interesting looking at, I mean, the night before we started recording this, tape machines on Twitter was tweeting a thread with screenshots and stuff from Mr. Nanny, just how different he looks. Yeah. It's really striking even now. Yeah. All right, spotlight on Joe Vasquez. The following conversation took place July 12th on Rick Carter and Bill Kunkel's Russell Talk Radio Show in Las Vegas. So I have to be Bill Kunkel and Rick Carter, I guess? Um, sure. I'll okay. be Cheryl. <laughs> All right, so we start with uh, Kunkel. When this whole ring boy sex scandal broke, the thing that amazed me was the total blasé attitude that most WWF fans seem to have towards this thing. It was just, I think, all kind of jumbled together with steroids. There was no negative response other than obviously people staying home, which the WWF caused on their own. That really is the fr- this is excuse me. This is really is the first protest we've seen. And then Rick chimes in with, "Let's go ahead and bring Cheryl on." Cheryl, are you there? Yeah, hi, I'm here. How did this whole protest get started? Well, actually, you can't hate anything until you loved it at first. And I guess you could say we were WWE's biggest fans years ago. But over the years, we've become so offended and outraged. You know, with a lot of different issues. He brought down minorities and made fun of homosexuals and even affected my own children. I have three sons. The oldest is 25. And I even suspected maybe he was doing steroids because he's got a big, beautiful body that all my boys have been trying to get for years. I almost discredit myself here because I'm part of the problem, I guess, because I love wrestling and my mentality. Look at those muscles. Look at those muscles. I feel I spent so much money over the years on WWF. I just didn't have a right to complain about it anymore if I didn't do something about it when I got the chance. So I did. And although the protest was small, the end result was beyond our farthest dreams. How many invid- describing her son describing her son with a big beautiful body? That's yeah, that did strike me as weird too. But how many individuals were involved in the protest? Well, there were just five. Three started out. We got permission from the city of Poughkeepsie. They gave us our guidelines, told us what we could do, what we couldn't do. We followed them to the letter. It was very peaceful. We had eight or ten different signs related to the scandals. One that said, "Where's Mel, Terry, and Pat if they're not guilty?" One said, "Sex, drugs, lies, scandals, and child abuse." I happen the person knows something about that, or I wouldn't have put that in. Now okay. Bill chimes in with, Cheryl, you knew quite a few of the ring boys in the upstate New York area. Yes, I did. So this was more of a personal issue to you? It's very personal to me, and I don't really like to talk about it because I've turned everything over to the authorities. They're investigating this, and I feel the kids I knew are victims. I called just the other day to one of them to ask him why he didn't come to our protest, because he said he might do it. He told me he may get his ring job back because he'd been in touch with suspending Rick, the ring announcer and ring crew chief Mel Phillips himself. He told me he was not allowed to talk to me anymore. I said, what do you mean you can't talk to me? He told me he wished he could tell me everything, but he could. 
He sent me the terrible pressure. I asked him different questions, different names. He informed me he was in touch with the attorney chairman at Pittsburgh that very morning. This was Friday, just last Friday, and he couldn't talk to me anymore about it. But I think the damage he said has already been done. It's already been handed over to the authorities. Was this individual a minor? He was 14 years old when I met him. But I mean now, in this conversation you had with him last week. He's 2021 now. Okay, but you taped a conversation with him? Well... Or you had a conversation with him? I had a conversation with him. That was awkward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, I think it comes out that she has been prone to taping conversations. Um, I have something that I have, I think, that Phil had. I have a transcript of a conversation he had with her, but I don't think there's anything we need in there. Um, still interesting. Um, go back to Bill. What kind of reaction did you get from the WWF people, wrestlers, fans in general to the protest? Well, the first, you know, I was a little leery. A lot of the mothers had tickets in their hands. So they were going to buy tickets there. It was like conscious check time for the mothers. We weren't trying to prevent you know, from going in. I mean, those are part of our guidelines. We had a very big effect. One mother stood out in particular. She had two sons with her and they also had friends with them. She came up to us and told us she had heard about these alleged scandals. But the kids didn't see or didn't know anything about them. The only thing they knew about was Hulk Hogan that he had lied in our senior hall show. Just couldn't believe that one bit salon could harbor so many sick employees. She said this had been a major corporation here in Dutchess County that the people, that the media would have just covered it all over the place. But she really wasn't even aware of the damaging images this new character Razor Ramon has. Uh-oh. She doesn't watch the superstars and wrestling challenge TV shows. She admitted that, you know, the kids watch it. It's like a babysitter, the television. But she did vow to watch it that weekend, which is an episode when Ramon took fruit and told the kids they didn't need school or books to be like him, that they should take what they want. She said it's going to be a major priority this summer to deprogram her kids. Being that summer was here, the team wasn't on that much anyway. Lots of parents asked for our numbers and everything. In fact, we would have been in the Meadowlands last night. And this is a fact. We had no the police ahead of time. We had such a huge reaction to this that uh, we're new to this, and I don't know how to go back and get so many people together to do this. We're not through yet. We're only just begun. The kids. Editor's note. I believe Vasco is referring to the four members of their friend crew in the Poughkeepsie area. Thought it would be great fun to be at a protest. All of them had something. I made a crap about one thing or another about WF. They even said they would go to Stanford, Connecticut. The wrestlers were another story. I don't know if I'm even allowed to say any names. Should I say a name? Sure, go ahead. Well, I don't know which one he was, but the Nasty Boys came and saw us carrying our signs, and we were on the side while we were supposed to be moving constantly. They tried to run us over. They put their accelerators to the gas and laughed. They yelled the city is at us. I'm a mother, okay, and this isn't right to do. There were crowds of kids with their parents. The security was there. Jerry Sagnotovich sags, so disgusting and abusive verbally, a lot of parents just shook their heads and said, gee, I wish the kids wouldn't have seen this, but I guess it's good that they did. And they shook their heads and supported us after the scene. There was another wrestler there, very, 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 very well-known one. He was very sympathetic and supportive. In fact, he even tried to calm, quiet down sags and Skinner the Swamp thing. Steve Kern, yeah? Yeah, he told them that he, we weren't being abusive. We were no threat to them. We had our civil rights, too, and they should be quiet. He actually tried to quiet them down. He's a very well-known wrestler. But Saganovich was horrible. There was also a mere ring rat girl that I had known. 
she pulled around the sidewall with her mercury sable and tried to back it over on me. And she went through the back door, too, with several other dear friends of Vincent Mann's that allegedly were for them. <laughs> Bring <Wow>. that girl. <laughs> trying to, try to run over <laughs> Oh, that, that is crazy. Going in through the back door, that ring rat. Uh, they cook for you. They'll keep you company. They'll try to run over protesters with their mercury sable. <laughs> oh my god! See, they, they, I mean, it's such a shame that you know the wrestlers decided to use such a derogatory name for women who were so loyal to them. You know, but still, very that, that's a, that's that's quite some loyalty to the, to the World Wrestling Federation. <laughs> Not even to any specific wrestlers. Anyway. I know. Arl Asmarves has a question here, Bix. Yeah, okay. You didn't make that clear in the intro. Uh, I was wondering if you're going to be at Long Island August 1st at the Nassau County Coliseum. The reason being that is WWF's hottest spot in the country right now. Alex, that's also a bit difficult because I've never been down there myself. We have to figure out how to get us all down there. It's just not me anymore. And I urge anyone that's within listening distance, you parents out there, unite. We have a little like Ghostbusters logo with a red circle and a WF's in the middle. Just wear that and you can get in there on your own. I'm really not familiar with that area, but I think for the long run, Mr. Man's recycling his trash and taking it to England. We're really going to go for him when he comes back to the States. It may take a little longer because now there are a lot of people involved. I just don't know how to do this. I'm only one person. Now Rick comes back in with, I understand the police came out at some point? They came out about four times. W official, and I don't know who he was, and I usually know all of them, a short, heavyset man with black hair came out of a big white shirt limousine and said, get them the hell out of here. The road agent, Tony Gurria, was standing here. The police had come by four times, and this police official even said the Civic Center owns the sidewall, which is the only place where we were allowed to protest. That is where all the wrestlers park. Four times police came, and they were just checking to make sure nobody was getting violent with us. And then we had permission. The officers told the WF they were sorry, but there was nothing they could do about it. Because they had the right to be there. They did everything in their power to get rid of us, including telling us they owned the sidewalk. They wanted to see our permit. We did not need a permit because there weren't that many people there. The security supported us, though. It's supposed to be a privately owned city center by Poughkeepsie businessmen. They claimed to be a nonprofit organization. Also, one supporter could come to the protest, but did call a local newspaper here and told them about it. They said, oh, well, gee, you know, we're in a hurry because of the holiday weekend. Now, mind you, this was July 2nd, but they wanted to get out early. They're only half a block down the road from the Civic Center, but they didn't want to cover it. I've been touching them to see if they would do any stories about only these alleged scandals, which you know is a chalk sport. They've never done anything about it. Mm-hmm. There's your I, mindset. Right yep. I understand the WWF had not been in Poughkeepsie in a year before this show. About a year, yeah. There was a little independent card slated with that duel the butcher and the sheik, and mysteriously it was canceled. That's two weeks later it's announced on the day it was coming in. They haven't been here for several years. They used to do TV tapings there. Huh. Okay, I'm curious now when they had last been there. Um, you know, quit doing TV tapings there in 86. I know okay. they ran some house shows. Okay, there was a September 12th, 91 house show. Uh, there was a... G okay, there were four shows in 90. So if she's talking about a gap, it would have been a bigger gap, right? I mean, it would have been earlier. Yeah. Um... Few shows in ninety in eighty nine. She could just be remembering wrong. Could be. Bunch of shows in eighty eight. Yeah. 
Because at this point, then, it's just a two-year gap. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I think she's remembering that wrong. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because I see shows in 87, yeah. So, I don't know what she's talking about. Uh, So, all right, my turn now is Bo Kunkel. Cheryl, when did you find out about these things that were going wrong in the World Wrestling Federation? Was it through newsletters or through the media, or was it something you had a hunch about a long time ago? Well, I had a hunch about it. I got involved in it because there were several young ring boys, and we befriended because I would take a lot of the kids to the back where the wrestlers used to come in. We have a scrapbook about a foot high filled with pictures and autographs. Anyway, I met these ring boys, and they came from, I guess you could say, dysfunctional families. They ride their bikes there. I always had a great big old car, so they would ask me, oh, Mrs. V, can we put our bike in the trunk of your car? And I said, sure. So I went in the trunk, and they had to wait for them to get the rings down so they get their bikes back. And every single time we knew the restaurants the wrestlers would go to afterwards, this man himself would go to the Seacrest Diner down on Wappinger Falls, and we'd always go there and have a hamburger and a soda with the kids, hoping that a wrestler would pass by and say something nice to them. All the time, Mel Phillips was there with the ring boys. I bump into them many times during my travel shopping and I was asking, gee, why are you always with Mel Phillips? Oh, well, we stayed at the so-and-so motel here, you know, on Route 9, this and that. And I say, but why? You live in Poughkeepsie. Mel treats us good. Mel's good to us. They were kind of unprotective about him. Over the past six months, I've learned a lot of things that weren't right. When I suspected something was going on with the boys, I had told some. They say their employees, Vincent Man. I don't know if they're scouts or what, but I do have proof that they work for him in a small capacity. He used to come over here, many cups of, get many cups of tea, and tell me things that were going on. They had free run of what used to be in the Greenwich, Connecticut, and now Stanford. They told me about these blow-up dolls and they have officers in the closet. They nicknamed it Big John and a big sex organ. And Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon often joked about it. They told me many, many, many stories. I could write a book myself. <laughs> Big John. <sighs> wow. And then Kevin Dunn hires a friend of his that had no known qualifications, and his nickname ends up being Big John. Well, his name is John. So his name is John, and he's a large man. And he was but... a big, and he was a big man. So yeah. Still, but they also had Big John Stud who was working there. So yeah. They've had some big Johns over the years. So what do you think of Cheryl Vasquez, probably having never heard her name before this? I mean... She seems genuine, at least. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the most interesting thing to come out of this is the stuff about these were all local kids, but they're staying at the hotel with the wrestlers. Yes. And she's like, why are you doing that? You live here. <laughs> Why are you staying with Mel Phillips at a hotel room? Mm-hmm. So it also kind of makes you wonder if one of her own kids wasn't part of this as well. It's just uh, not saying that. Right. I mean, I didn't, wouldn't want to go too far with that line of discussion, but I get your point. Um, I understand this part of the ring, this one of the ring boys or something that's involved. I mean, I didn't say not involved with Mel Phillips. No, I know what you in mean. Particular, yeah. But could be one of the ring boys or could have worked in that capacity. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. Yes, I'm not saying yeah, that yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. was touching everything. Right. But he met uh, definitely friends, so to speak. Yeah, but this is... And how about the Nasty Boys? 
that don't surprise me. No, no, no. That it was. Them. I just wonder who the very, 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 very well-known wrestler was. The one who wasn't Steve Kern, right? Uh, shall I pull up the results? I'm... Yeah, go ahead. All right, let's see. I got an idea, and I'll say it before you read the results if he's on there. Okay, so your results? I, was, I think it. Was, I think it was Savage. Uh, he's not on the show. Okay. So your results right. are: Jim Powers defeated Kato. Bob Backlund, okay, that could be one, defeated Skinner. Eh. Shawn Michaels pinned Tito Santana. Nails defeated Virgil. Rick Martel defeated Tatanka by countout. And the Ultimate Warrior and Legion of Doom defeated Papa Shango and the Nasty Boys. Okay, I will go then with... Maybe it's Helwig! That he's much more mild-mannered with his lower steroid intake. Yeah, and he doesn't like homosexuals. What he views as homosexuals, at least. And, well, in some yes. case, with the protests, probably actual homosexuals. But yes, I get your point. Um, I could also see it being Hawker Animal, maybe. Yeah. Okay, then Tito. I mean, very, very, very well known, though, really. If Depending well, on how Tito literally you're taking years. that. Sure, sure. But depending on how literally you're taking that, that sounds most like, based on who's on the show, Warrior or Road Warriors. Yeah. Um... They're also in Fort Pierce that night, by the way. And was Sa- yeah, yeah, Savage was on that show facing Flair, defending his title. So, two different crews. Yeah, I, I think, I'm thinking Helwick. Cause, cause, with the, with the uh, subject matter involved. Despite ha- the fact that he hates children, you mean? <laughs> well, yeah. All right, let's go to the week of July 27th, Torch, July 30th, Wrestling Flyer, August 1st. Observing John Arezzi's first spotlight, August 3rd, Penthouse Magazine, tastefully done, September 1992. All right, so let's go to John Arezzi. New sex scandal about the rot the day of boat by John Arezzi, a first spotlight editor. New allegation brought forth by a 15-year-old New York ring boy may bring the day of sex scandals back into the mainstream media. This past Sunday on the KVEG WrestleTalk radio show, hosted by Bill Conkle and Rick Carter, a youngster only identified as Barney came forward with claims of an attack on him in 1991 by former WF occasional laborer Mel Phillips. To make matters worse, the 15-year-old youngster also accused WF Vincent Mann of planting him in the audience of the Phil Donahue show on March 17th, promised him satisfaction if he kept quiet. That's an interesting way of phrasing that. That the boy would trash certain panelists on the show. This writer has been aware of this story since May 24, 1992, when I was first wrestling. The first wrestling journalist, Barney, contacted. He felt there was no one to turn to. I did not initially report on this story, but rather tried to steer the youngster to the proper authorities. He's using Vince language. Uh, in the weeks that followed the initial call to me, Barney spoke to various people and hired an attorney who's no longer associated with the case. I have now decided to print the conversation on May 24th with Barney, who phoned me after my radio show that evening which featured Lee Cole, brother of Tom Cole, who's owed off of a similar situation, and Murray Hodgson, who has brought a suit against Doya for wrongful termination of employment. The conversation was on the record and recorded with Barney's consent. Yes, and to be clear, that's the appearance where Steve is also there, May 24th. All right, so we're going to switch it up. Bix is going to play Barney, and I'm going to play John Arezzi. Yes, and Barney starts. I want to talk to you about what's happening in WWF. Basically, in January of 1991, I was at Nassau Coliseum with my Boy Scout troop. 
one of the Boy Scouts had written an essay on why on why he wanted to meet his favorite wrestler, and it won, and the Scouts got to meet two wrestlers. We met Tugboat and Carrie Adkison, Von Eric. I got a really cool picture of that. And um, basically, I wanted to meet Bret Hart because he was in the main event. I went over to... Just a Ad- bit, real quick, real quick, January 11th, 1991. Go ahead. Yes. Um, I went over to Adkison and said, is there any way I can meet other wrestlers? He said to talk to the bigger businessman, Mel Phillips. And I said I didn't know who he was. After the intermission... While Lombardi versus Hillbilly Jim was going on, I found Mel Phillips, and stuff happened. What did he do? So, real quick, before I read what he says here, at least the available results for this show does not have that match. Yeah, alright, so I'm looking now. Alright, so we got Dustin Rose beating Buddy Rose. That's a fucking match. Coco beware of a Sunny Blaze, summon for Haku. Roddy and Carrie over uh, Mr. Perfect and Virgil, summon for Ted DiBiase. Britt Martell over Jake Roberts by DQ. Dino Bravo over Saba Semba. Tugboat over the Barbarian by disqualification. Earthquake over Jim Powers. You look good, Jim. Something for Superfly Snuka. And the Heart Foundation over Power and Glory. Do you uh, think I'm it's looking, possible? Re- it's just, are you checking other sources? or I'm checking other. I'm just checking other results to see if that match took place on a Nassau Coliseum show mm-hmm. in this time period. Um... It's not 91, so I'm checking 90. Uh, no. Not December, not November, not September. Brawler is on the August show, but he's beating Jose Luis Rivera. Okay, June 30th, 1990. Hubert Jim over the Brooklyn Brawl. Yeah, I just found that too. I don't know what I make of this, do you? I don't either. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, memory's a funny thing, especially with trauma and blah, blah, blah. So I, it's possible it means nothing. But Carrie's not on this show at all. Brett's not on this show at all. So. Tugboat? Nope. Hmm. It's weird, but. It, it, it's something that you. It's something to mention. Yes, it could mean absolutely nothing, but. It, we need to mention that that match is not on that show. Yes. All right, Barney, go ahead. So, so yeah, John asks, what did he do? I went, Mr. Phillips, I met Mr. Adkison in the green room, and, I, and he said, if I talk to you, uh, I could meet wrestlers. And he went, well, how much is it worth to you? I went, I don't have any money. I'm a kid. He said, there are other things you could do. I said, like what? He said, like favors. I said, what do you mean? How old are you now? I'm 15 now. Last year I was 14, and so basically he like did things that weren't too. He did things to you. You didn't want done. Yeah. So I called up Titan Sports a couple weeks afterward, and I wanted to report him to see if something could be done, but I didn't want to tell my parents because that would have gotten into a much greater argument. Um. What he's talking about here, I'm going to stop. Is it would come out later? It would come out later that Barney's gay, and that would become a point of contention as far as whether or not he would make a good witness. If, in the context of the time, people, it would have been argued that it was consensual, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so back to Barney. I called and said, "This guy did this to me at a Nassau show. 
and is there some way that action could be taken against him? They said, yeah, sure, we'll look into it. They never got back to me. Then this whole big thing came out with the big scandal, and I called there again and realized I wasn't the excuse me, when I realized I wasn't the only person this had happened to, they said Vince McMahon was going to be in the city for Donahue. Why don't you talk to Mr. McMahon? Because he's the guy in charge of the WWF, and maybe he could help you in some way. I went down to the Donahue show. I got there about noon, and I met Mr. McMahon. He said he would talk to me after the show, and he told me to go on the show and bash the people on stage to do him a favor, and he would do me a favor after the show. He said that to you? You're the kid that was in the audience that said that stuff about Barrio and Bruno's kid? They told you to say that? Yeah. He, like, told me some things about what had happened in the past. He told me to say that. Then after the show, for for doing him that favor, he tried to get stuff done because at that point, Phillips had already resigned. He said that I might be able to get a job at Titan Sports if I were just quiet my mom and I were having problems, and this was a good idea because maybe I could get a job. He said he would speak to me after the show. After the show, I went over to him. He was on the stage. Uh, Murray Hodgson had said something to him. I said, Mr. McMahon, about what he said before, something could be done. Go through the company. Um, he said to speak to Steve Planamenta. So I called up there. He said he had never heard of me and that I was making these things up. And I should crawl back onto the rock I came out of. Real quick. How about that Murray Hodgson and Vince are talking on stage after the show? <sighs> after what happened on the show? Well, he said, well, Murray said something to him. Is what it well, says, is what he says. That's not a conversation. Yeah, I know, but still. All right. So back to John. That was the last conversation you had with him. That was about two days after the Donahue show. Can I get a little personal with you? Yeah. What did Mel do to you? Um, he... Well, and obviously this is where the actual descriptive part comes in, everyone, if you want to skip ahead a tiny bit. Um, so, um, he... Well, there were four matches after the intermission before the Bret Hart match. And he said the Hart Foundation would be in the building after the match, so there would be no problem, so I should wait. So he took me out to a car that was parked in the parking lot. He said there would be time between the actual Hart Foundation match and I would get to meet Bret Hart after the match. So, um, like, he took off all my clothes and um, he performed oral sex on me. And that's the end of the transcript. And then John adds this. All right, well, I'm looking real quick at the results. All right, so Piper and Kerry against Perfect and Virgil is the third match on the card. So that that would be a point to have intermission, you would you would say? Because there's four matches after that before the Hart Foundation. Maybe. Because there's Martel Jake, Bravo Simba, Tobo Barbarian, Earthquake Powers, and then the Hart. Hart's Power and Glory match. Or it could have been four and four. It could have been after Martel Jake. Well, no. He said there's four matches before the Bret Hart match. Oh, okay. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So, um, all right, so look, here's John's uh, closing. At the time of this conversation, Barney's parents weren't aware of what their son claimed happened to him. They're now aware of his accusations. I'd initially planned on not making this conversation public, but with the apparent imminent stor- stories and rumors I'll probably be circulated since his radio appearance, I decided to print the conversation with Barney's consent and welcome in response to Titan Sports and Vincent Mann. 
My only hope is that the truth will come out from the accuser and the accused. All right. Um, I mean, first things first, we should note this ends up being the last of it in the media, I believe. So we don't know what happened to Barney after this, huh? I mean, should I pull up the thing with uh, Phil's lawyers? See I mean, if there's anything well get... I can add here? Yeah. This right. is, is this the first instance that we've had of Mel actually... I'm, I'm trying to remember. I don't remember Being accused of, of something that could legally be considered rape or sodomy. From yeah, it's not foot foot related. From an actual from an actual victim, yes. The claim about the Allentown incident from those who witnessed or heard about it was that it was the same basic thing, but we don't have an actual direct accuser. Yeah. Um. Okay. So as I see, okay, he gives the basic same basic. So this is you know like. Over a year later, gives the same basic story that he gave to John. So, okay, so, I mean, this this mentions the whole thing about Vince saying there are going to be people lying, and if you don't call them out as liars, it'll hurt people, you know, believing your story, um, that he was told to stand in a specific place outside Rockefeller Center at the Donahue taping, and that Vince came out of a limo and kind of gestured towards him and fed Barney dirt, that Murray Hodgson was gay and had taken steroids and used drugs, that Bruno was phased out of the WWF and that his son used steroids, that Billy Graham was homophobic, sat him in a strategic position at Donahue. Um, oh, okay, this is interesting. I, it says that during the show, Barney asked a question about whether Bruno Sammartino's son had ever taken steroids. That's not what the question was. Nope. Uh, after the show, Barney said he asked McMahon how he'd done. McMahon apparently told him to call Steve Planament the next day. Then we get called back under the rock. You climbed out from under. Uh, called John Arezzi, who apparently set him up with Lee Cole. And Lee's sister worked at a law firm and set him up with lawyers there. Um, Barney said that although the lawyers were impressed with his story because he was credible as a Boy Scout who attended, I won't give the name, but a prestigious high school in New York City, That the firm, but the firm did not represent the type of case he wanted to bring. Um, Lee Cole then introduced him to John Pelosi Sr., who, I, Jesus, I don't want to get into the John Pelosi thing right now. That would take forever. Um, and that he's been harassed by the Fairfax Group investigators and that they called his scoutmaster at all hours of the night, including asking him if Barney was honest and other questions relating to his credibility. Fairfax called his home once and asked to speak to him, but never called again. Um, he also thought Fairfax had called Cheryl Vasquez, said he believed they were following him, that he reported these people to the cops and the cops detained him while he caught the subway. Linda McMahon called his mom, but his mom won't admit to it. Had spoken to Jerry McDevitt on a number of occasions. McDevitt simply told him he needed to find an attorney and asked to not discuss the case with him. Well, that sounds true. And then some stuff about other, uh, other ring boys and apparently knowing Ron Kuby, um, and some other lawyers. And then there's this. So this is, uh, I think, the investigator from the law firm. I told Phil Mushnick about my conversation with Barney. 
Phil said he did not really believe that Barney was very credible. I asked him why, and he said he understood that Barney had changed his story on a number of occasions. Phil thought we should contact John Arezzi to get his feelings about whether or not Barney was credible. Muchnick's first reaction, however, was that he had no idea why we would even pursue this issue with Barney. Lee Cole also said he did not believe Barney was assaulted by Phillips. Here's the thing with that. Um, I know Lee's view on that has changed over the years in part because at the time, his feeling was he was under the impression that Mel did not target black kids. Um, I believe his view That's on that has changed. That's the story because – yeah, I mean, I heard that before, too, that Mel Phillips only liked white kids. Right. And, yeah, to be clear, that was the main reason why he did not believe it at the time. Over time, it shifted a little bit. I think he he believes him a lot more now than he did 30 years ago. Um, so, okay, some extra details there. I mean, I don't know if I buy the Linda thing. Yeah. But... I feel like overall there's something there. My gut is, is it that if any of it's not true, it's him trying to make the story of the aftermath sound different to get more attention to it. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I think, I think he's telling the truth about the plant thing, because that seems obvious. I think he's telling the truth about Phillips, because I don't see... A 15-year-old kid, especially a 15-year-old gay kid, is not going to make that up in that context. You know what I mean? Now, some of how it stitches together, I could see being an exaggeration. But I feel like overall, I feel like overall there's something there. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, it's just, it's, it's kind of... I don't know if we have the story in the right context. Meaning, I, I think I think some of the I think the story is true, but I don't think it happened as he's being described here. I think that's fair. It, it seems kind of crazy to me. This boy was supposed to be with the Boy Scout troop. Wouldn't it be strange if I'm a Boy Scout troop leader? That uh, that one of my scouts is not around, that's missing, and is gone for a long period of time, and th- that is in a parking lot getting assaulted by Mel Phillips. I mean, as this, uh, as, it, it, I I think I, do I think something happened? Yes, I, I, th- I think definitely something happened, but I don't know if it happened at the building. You know? Yeah, I get what you're saying. I, I Again, I think the Donahue thing is more or less true. I think the being assaulted by Mel Phillips is true. It's just the I, way it was told, something seems off. Because they go to, I mean, they go to the Nassau Coliseum every month. Which kind of, you know, it kind of makes you wonder. I mean, we've already found that one of the results is wrong, compared to this, if this wasn't a multi-show incident. You know what I'm saying? Whether a grooming process or multiple assaults or whatever. Well, either or, yes. Yeah. I think this is a multi-show incident. I think something started at one show and then happened at another one. Yeah. You catch my drift. I kind of get what you're saying. I just, just, it just seems odd to me 
that he's there with a group of Boy Scouts in 1992 or 91 at the time this happened, and they don't notice that one of the guy, one of the kids, is just not there for a period of time. For what seems like a relatively extended period of time, because he's going off trying to find how he can meet Bret Hart. Yeah. Well, not just that. It's wouldn't you think it would be an adult chaperone? This is again. This is the Boy Scouts. On the other hand, it's the Boy Scouts. Yeah, I mean, I get. Yeah, I get you on that one too. But still, I just, I think there's more to more way more to this story. I think this is something he may he may have this like I said this is something that may have started at one show and and then finished at another show. Now, do you believe the Vince part? Uh, what Donahue? That he that Vince came out of the limo, knew where to find him. Um, I can believe that. I uh, that it's specifically Vince to be clear, because obviously someone prepped him. But again, I, I, again, this I'm still thinking about this being a multi-show deal. Yes, and the and the hillbilly jump Brooklyn brawler thing makes me think that even more because he mentioned a match that had actually taken place semi recently at the Coliseum. Well, seven months before, right? But I'm saying it's not a match that was taken out of thin air either. No, so and also does. Doesn't it seem? Sh- I mean, that's pretty. I mean, we Mel Phillips is an operator. I don't know if Mel Phillips is that aggressive that quickly. You know, during what I'm a show too. Yeah, that that's another during a show. This isn't a you know, this isn't a TV taping. It's a house show, so there's less personnel on hand. You would think. Well, okay, here's think- some. Well, here's something else I'm wondering though: Would Mel Phillips have been the ring announcer on the show? Very possible. Because if I remember right, I went this is the first show I ever went to was the next month. I think Mel Phillips was the ring announcer at that show. If Mel Phillips is ring announcer on this show, then that that I that don't think it would have happened during the show. No. No. Absolutely not. And then I think that should have been something that should have been looked into. Yes. To do your due diligence on the story. Yes. Now, this all could be trauma and memory and all that, but there are a lot of things here that don't really piece together the way they should. But again, it's like, I believe we're not, he says he was yeah, we're not assaulted by Mel Phillips. Right, we believe yeah, exactly. He, we're not saying that. But we we're just don't. saying that the stuff doesn't jive as the correct story. That, right. I mean, that's just the difference. Again, we're not saying nothing didn't happen. We're saying right. it happened. I think that you, yeah, but, but the, the larger story part, and the way it's being told in the chain of events doesn't really seem to fit. Yeah, there's more to the story. And see, something like that, if this if this would have went to legal, it would got blown out. The, it, it would his case would have got blown out. Yeah. So then that's the way I'm looking at it is from that perspective. It didn't go that direction, but I'm just saying, I don't know. I think I think there's more to it, but definitely something happened. So yeah. still, it's fucked. Up. It's fucked up. The kid was un, was well underage. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah. So there's that. <laughs> Is that all for Barney on this show? We got any more from him? I think that's it. Let me double check. Uh, as I search through here, 
Uh, we do get to, okay. There is some Barney stuff in the Bill Kunkel column in the last section. Okay, it's, it's well, nothing new. I don't think for the most part, but All still, right. he's talked about. Okay. All right. All right, well, let's move on. Excerpt from No Holds Bar. The World Wrestling Federation under siege is accounts of violence, drugs, sex, crimes, threatened to destroy the sports integrity by Jeff Savage for Penthouse Magazine. I'm taking a shower after one of my first days on the job, says wrestler Billy Jack Keynes. Oh, and, and, WFA... uh, and yeah, things are about to get more descriptive here. Probably should say that. Well, and this WF executive sinks up behind me and jams his finger up my ass. I mean, literally, up my asshole. Homosexuality in the dressing room is blatant. If you drop the soap, you have to look left, right, and behind you before you bend down to pick it up. We're flying to Minnesota, says Russell Superstar Billy Graham. A Hulk Hogan, who's sitting across from me, pours out a pile of cocaine into a mirror. He offers me some, but I decline. Yeah, that's smart, he says. Coke is a tough habit to break. Then he proceeds to shove three lines up his nose. I'm driving from Albuquerque to Amarillo, says Russell Barry Orton. And the wrestling boss is in the passenger seat, and he keeps begging me to suck me. He keeps begging to suck me. I tell him that I'm not that way, that I'm not interested, but he won't let up. Every 20 minutes or so, he starts up again. Well, let me suck your cock just once. Let me just see it. Let me just touch it. Inside Titan Towers, Vincent Mann, owner and liege lord of the WWF, frantically responds to the attack by spinning up denials and threats from his fax machine like a Catherine wheel of fireworks, but he can't keep up. There's too many accusers. He's pretty slippery and so very powerful, says Jim Stewart, an advanced former limo driver who claims to witness a rash of unconscionable acts, but I don't think he's going to survive this. Stewart was around on July 16, 1986, when WFRF Rita Marie, real name Rita Chatterton, said she was raped by McMahon. Chatterton asked for more bookings, and McMahon directed her into his limo to discuss it. Next thing I know, Chatterton said that tearfully if you will not could be told, Vince unzipped his pants and took my hand, and he kept pulling, putting my hand on his penis. He started telling me that he could either make me or break me. The choice was mine. And he made me have oral sex with him. He started to get ready, really excited, and I pulled away, and he got really angry. When I said no, he said that I better satisfy him. He started pulling my pants off. He pushed me on top of him and satisfied himself through intercourse. Chatterton said she didn't come forward sooner because, both because she feared for her safety and her parents were ill. Her mother died last year, her father in March. Now that so many people are speaking up, she tells Penthouse, I feel safer. And also, I think people will believe me now. Chatter says she was warned by that man upon being hired in 1985 not to engage in sexual activity with company employees. After you finished raping me, Chatter says, he looked at me as I'm crying and said, remember I told you never had sex with someone from the company? Well, you just did. And he started laughing hysterically. What a sick man he is. That man refused to talk to Penthouse for this story, except for appearing on two TV programs, Larry King Live and Donahue. His only response to media pros has been to make blanket denials and raise the possibility of future legal action. Such posturing has been mere bluster. The WWF has never brought any suit in these charges because it knows that a procession of subpoenaed employees testifying would be a death march. Its legal maneuverings have been limited to character assassinations, countersuits, and settlements. All right. So if we take our first break here. Um, I should note, basically, the main stuff I left out was the snucka stuff. Because, you know, well, that maybe no bearing here. yeah, at some point, maybe we'll do some show about that. But it, yeah, it doesn't really fit into anything we're talking about. Um, I think I cut out, you know, little bits here and there that, um, you know, are things that are not are just straight rehashes. All right. So, yeah, Billy Jack Haynes. I had forgotten that he said this explicitly in the penthouse. 
interview. Um, it's Billy Jack Haynes. He can be a little off. Um, and we don't know whose name he's mentioning here. I mean, we know it's probably one of two people that he's suggesting it is. I can see it being true. Um, I mean, the direction he takes the quote in with homosexuality in the dressing room and if you drop the soap is a bit much, even for 1992, but I can see it. I mean, I can see it too, but he just, he doesn't seem their type, you know? Okay. Tall, how... big, big, you know, the big muscular beard type. They sit... I guess they seem like more into like what a Barrio Orton looked like, you know, kind well, of shaven Lombardi. Yeah, he's not big. Yeah. <laughs> he's not a muscle muscle bound guy. So I, I don't know. He just it just he doesn't seem that type to me. I just don't know. I, I kind of get what you're saying. Happen, but I'm just saying he doesn't seem that type. That most of the other kids. names that we hear that get mentioned as far as being propositioned, as far as people who are actually on the roster. Are more like Barry Orton, Paul Roma, Jim Powers. Yeah, Tom I mean, they're, well, they're, I mean, they're they're muscled guys too, but they're not. They're a type. Burly, yeah. They're burly. They don't look they're like they should be on a package of paper towels. Yeah. Um. Or, or, or and, and let's be honest, Billy Jack Haynes had a rep of, for being a, a tough motherfucker. That's the that honestly is the part that makes me doubt it the most. But I'm still not. I kind of believe him. But like, wouldn't you be afraid? I mean, to try to stick your finger up his ass in the locker room, in the shower, that guy knowing yeah. his rep, <laughs> what he might do to you. you I'm, like, I'm surprised uh, that Billy Jack didn't like throttle him. And well, that's what I'm saying. Him. That it's not that you wouldn't expect him to just reflexively beat the shit out of you, right? Yeah, it's Billy Jack Haynes. And if I remember right, this is the only story of this type we've heard, right? Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's just, I'm skeptical. I I think that's a good way to put it. I can see it being true, but there are reasons to be skeptical. Yes. Um, Graham, Hogan, cocaine, sure. Oh, well, I mean, I can believe that easily. (laughs) Yes. I mean, Barrio, we know, is talking about Terry Garvin. um, Amarillo, yeah. And, you know, just the specific, oh, let me suck it. Let me just see it. Let me just touch it. Like, that, okay, here's the thing. That goes to something, I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this, because the the examples I usually give privately are alive, and at least one of them are litigious. But I'll just say it generally, then, and you can guess who I'm talking about. People, I think, tend to think of your serial predators as being the more cartoonishly evil types. Um, like a certain wrestler who was named repeatedly in speaking out where the stories, despite being very credible, make him sound like a movie villain. But they're all really, mo- like, for the most part, they're more like needy narcissists like this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <sighs> think, I mean, if you really think about it, again, without getting into some of the specific examples, but I think people can guess who I'm talking about. You see that pattern. Um, and I totally believe this story. I'm curious why, since he's given the name so many times, Penhouse didn't want to call him Terry Garvin in the specific allegation, especially since there's nothing about a crime or anything. And also calling him the wrestling boss. I mean, if, 
if it's in Amarillo, he would have been in the office, so that would be technically true at the time, right? Um, I guess he's the booker, so I guess that counts as a wrestling boss because at that time it's still owned by the Fonks. Yes, but still, it, you know, as with other times, the story has been put out there, out of Barry's control. It it loses something, and it comes off a little deceptive to not mention when it when and where it happened. Well, to not mention when, and that it wasn't in the WWF. Yeah. Um, I mean, Rita Chatterton, you know, nothing really new here other than this is, I think, the first time the date was given. Yeah. Um, and we have the Jim Stewart sort of implying that he witnessed it, which, again, is weird. He did that. Mushnick did that. Well, no, Mushnick said it outright. But then... Apparently, there was some deposition where Stewart said he did not tell Phil that. Um, I don't know if he talked to Dave, because Dave, as we talked about in an earlier part, said he can confirm everything until they got in the limo, which meshes with what she says now, it seems. So I don't, I don't know what the deal is here. I would love to know what Stewart actually told him, but I mean, well, also, you know, when we get to the Bill Kunkel thing later, we'll also have some stuff to talk about as far as uh, some issues with this story. Um, so, yeah. All right. Let's move on now. Keep going. All right. W. Fish, yeah. W. Fishers have a various times called Murray Hodgson, a certifiable lunatic, a horrible announcer, a homophobe, and a gay. Right, a gay. A and a gay. Hodgson has filed a lawsuit against Titan Sports, there's some umbrella company, but he doesn't believe a man will meet him in court. And a settlement is imminent. Hodge is asking for silent justice. Millions, he says. And we should note, as Dave will talk about when we get to his breakdown of this, um, the deadline for this was far enough back that that's why this says all this about Murray. Yes. The remuneration of Tom Cole was far less. Cole began working for the F in 1985 at the age of 13 as a ring boy. He would help set up and take down rings and was handed $100 bills. Too many times to count. He once misplaced his windbreaker and was given $500 to buy a new one. Best of all, he says, I got to hang out with the wrestlers. Tom C. had worked only a few weeks before ring announcer Mel Phillips began sexually molesting him in motel rooms. He would play with my feet or suck my, on my toes. He would masturbate while he was doing it, Cole says. He played with my feet sometimes for hours at a time. He had a foot fetish, and he played with all the young boys' feet all the time. Sometimes he would film it on a camcorder. Cole says, Mel Phillips wasn't the lone perpetrator. Pat Patterson would walk by while I was sitting on the ring. He grabbed my balls. I'd hate it, but there was nothing I could do. He's the boss. The abuse peaked in February 1990 at the Sheraton, the Stanford, where Terry Garvin, another McMahon assistant, entered Tom's hotel room unannounced. He was drinking vodka and trying to get me to drink some. He said he could take me to a strip joint or get me a prostitute. Anything I wanted, says Cole. I told him I wasn't interested. And he said, you go a long way in this company if you sleep with me. And he turned off the lights. I got scared and said, you're making me nervous. Please leave the room. Garvin tried again a few days later, this time with more intensity. He and Tom were on their way to a WF warehouse in the company van. When Garvin announced he had stopped at his house along the way, he told Tom that his wife would love to meet him. When they arrived, Garvin said he had forgotten his wife was in Florida. <laughs> Oops. Cole said Garvin fixed himself a drink and put on a pornographic movie. He begged Tom for sex, but the ring boy refused. 
pleading with Garvin to take him back to WF headquarters. Garvin continued to drink, smoke, and beg. Eventually, Garvin was too intoxicated to move, and he told Tom that they would have to spend a night at his house. I was scared shitless, Cole says. There was no way I was going to sleep in his house, so I slept in a van outside in the driveway. Cole was fired the next day. They said I was no longer needed. I know if I wouldn't have slept with I know if I would have slept with him and the rest of those guys, I'd probably be rich right now. They were like drug dealers with all the money they threw around. Cole's accounts were confirmed by another ring boy, Chris Lowe's, who says the tra- harassment began during his first day on the job. In nineteen eighty nine, when Mel Phillips purposely stomped on his foot. Then Phillips removed the boy's shoe and began massaging his foot and apologizing. He kept rubbing my toes, and I thought, man, that's messed up behavior. Lowe says it was really weird. But I didn't say anything. I found out it happened all the time to the guys. Tom Cole's Chronicles had a four-pronged effect. First, Patterson, Garvin, and Phillips resigned from WF after being repeatedly caned at their home, called their homes for comment. None would talk, says King. WF issued a press release citing various substantiated allegations as well as unfair media pressure. That's the basis for the resignations. Second, the accounts he spoke of cleared ground for more victims to come forward. Until then, the unspoken wrestling code was silence. Kayfabe. As the wrestler's locker room signal meaning clam up, intruder nearby. But with so many witnesses now willing to expose the secret society, the power numbers theory had been had taken hold. Third, the electronic media swooped down. Airing related scandals were in order entertainment tonight, Larry King Live, Donahue, CBS Evening News, now it can be told, twenty twenty in the current affair. And fourth, Vince McMahon began a search. It didn't take him long to find Tom Cole. But this time, Big Brother Lee has secured an attorney for Tom through the Yellow Pages. This isn't about money, Lee said at the start. The offer's $2 million right now wouldn't be enough. Tom's immediately damaged by this. He's not thinking straight. A week later, the Coles were replacing the telephone book lawyer with a bear to the highest order. This guy's fucking huge, Lee said. His name is Fixburg, Fuchsberg, Fuchsberger, something like that. He picked, up, picked us up in his limo and took us to his mansion. You should see it. When a man hears this guy's our lawyer, he's going to shake in his fucking boots. At some point in the Cole's great trail-breaking trip through the judiciary hinterlands, they changed their tune. At the conclusion of an episode of Don Hugh, where a man had foolishly faced a panel of accusers, the Coles came down from the audience and introduced themselves to Ed Gavin, the show's producer. This show was bullshit, Lee said to Gavin. There's only one guy here who cares, and that guy's right here. Lee pointed squarely at man. A day earlier, as it turned out, McMahon had reached a settlement with Tom. The deal $70,000 and a two-year contract to be a ring boy again. Tom got a good feeling that Mr. McMahon really cared, a toonie Alan Fuchsberg said. Mr. McMahon explained to Tom he had a difficult childhood himself. He shook hands with Tom and offered him his job back. Tom was ecstatic. His prospect of doing one, anything one-tenth as exciting was nil. But wrestling, of course, is based on illusion. Matches the choreograph, but the fixed outcomes on the business as a work. Mr. Man had worked Tom Cole to rejoin the company. McMahon's misfortune is that he embraces his role as a work artist with classic case of hubris, and sometimes it backfires. Okay. First things first, get this part out of the way. It was Tom who said that about Vince at Tommy Ham. <laughs> yes. Um, this will come up again later with the aforementioned Bill Kunkel column in Three Count, but I don't know how you make that mistake. And and it make and it make the article, yes. Yeah, especially since I'm sure he's talking to multiple people who were at the taping and saw it happen. That's weird. Um. Okay, so as far as what else we have here, um, I guess I should briefly explain how the lawyer switch happened since it came up, right? 
Um, so they find uh, Joe Petura in the phone book, just looking for litigation attorneys in the Utica area. And he seems really to be doing a good job. He's got, you know, all these, you know, stacks of notes from, like, talk shows and stuff that reached out to talk to Tom. And once they started talking to all those people, Brooke Skolsky, the producer, who we should also, again, remind everyone, had said that she would have camped out in front of their house until Tom gave an interview. Uh, she said they needed a bigger you know, player as far as a lawyer, and so put them in touch with her boyfriend, John Pelosi Jr. Problem with this is that John Pelosi Jr. was working at a firm that also represented the WWF, so he decided to put them in touch with the Fuchsburg firm, thinking that it would be the older Fuchsburg who was a judge in the past, but it, they ended up with the son, who was less experienced, and then everything we've talked about happened from there. Um, okay, so as far as Tom, we have here more what are attributed to him as quotes at the time, so a little bit more detail. And, okay, Chris Lowe's. <sighs> I think I should read the additional details from the statement he gave Petura, right? Do you remember where I'm going with this from my Business Insider article? Yeah. Okay. It's even weirder than it sounds. So I'm pulling up the article because it's easier for me to get to this than the transcript. But um, Lowe sees Honky Tonk Man walk by and shouts out, like, hey, Wayne Ferris, or something like that at him. And th that's when Philip steps on his foot really hard. And, you know, he said it hurt, and Philip says, well, let me see it for a second. Before I knew it, he grabbed my foot and just ripped off my shoe and was, like, playing with my foot. Things were going through my head. Me and my friend were looking at each other in total shock. Like, is this guy going to kill us or something? I mean, I'm sure that's extreme, but you hear stories about people. Told Los told him to stop after several minutes, by the way. He kept on saying in this real weird voice, you shouldn't have called Honky Tonk Man his real name. You should show them more respect. He was just rambling on like that. He's saying, are you sorry, Chris? <laughs> yes, he used kids being smart-alecky about wrestler real names as an excuse to stomp on their feet. And then, yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, the rest of this is pretty straightforward, though. Would you agree? At least this section? Yeah. yeah. So let's keep going now. Is It's time for the Tampa Pipeline. Dr. D. Davis Schultz said Hogan sold a potpourri of drugs to the, throughout the 80s and was known in wrestling circles as the Tampa Pipeline. Hogan's bedroom in the Schultz house was so littered with bottles of drugs that Schultz's seven-year-old daughter peeking in the room one day cried out that poor Holt must have been taken seriously ill. Schultz said he injected steroids into Hogan's body hundreds of times. He said that when he once complained to Hogan that the syringe was filled with a dangerous level, Holt raised his massive arms and screams, Just shoot it in there! When I die, they're going to have these guns hanging out the casket. Other wrestlers have since said that Hogan's drug abuse is rampant. Hogan was driving me and two other guys to his house in Connecticut one night in a snowstorm, wrestler Billy Jack Kane said. And Holt was popping pills and smoking pot, drinking alcohol, and driving 80 miles an hour. I told him to slow down. And he said, fuck you, man. You only live once. He threatened to kick my ass, but he did apologize later. 
All of that actually seems fairly credible. Yeah, I can see that. I, I'm curious how much vetting they did on the Tampa pipeline thing, though, legally. Because that's pretty... I mean, granted, you're accusing other people of sexual assault, too, but those people don't necessarily have the resources of Hulk Hogan at the time. No. But... It, 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 yeah. I don't think Hogan's ever actually specifically denied this, has he? I don't think he has. Also, it's interesting that he has the, an illegal gun charge in that era, doesn't he? Yeah. But let's move on now as we jump ahead to this quick nugget before jumping ahead again. Had a TV tape in Amarillo in late January. McMahon ordered his wrestlers to go to a private room and closed the door. You motherfuckers all tested black again. McMahon started in. That's it, goddammit. I've had enough. I'm not covering for you anymore. And you know what? That seems to track because it is around January, February when most of the wrestlers really start showing noticeable changes. Yeah. McMahon, of course, has not administered the test to himself. That's good, according to Jim Stewart, who chauffeured his boss through the Northeastern states for six years until he was fired in 1990 for becoming a threat to McMahon. He would be doing drugs in the back of the limo, and I began to complain about it, Stewart said. I say, Vince, I don't think it's a good idea while we're driving. He say, that's not your affair, that's mine. Stewart says McMahon was apathetic regarding the law, and he recalls an instance of particular recklessness when McMahon ordered him to drive 100 miles an hour from New York City to Hershey, Pennsylvania. It was wintertime and cold outside, and we're late for a show. And the speedometer needle was bent all the way, and he should let me to go faster. Stewart said, he's back there with a couple of friends, and they're drinking and doing coke and laughing. Finally, I said, Vince, you really think this is smart? What if we get pulled over? And he says, I'll handle that when it comes. I'll get out of it. And that's how he is. He doesn't stop at stop signs or red lights, he says. Drive through that light. He doesn't think those lights are for him. They're for somebody else. Well, that definitely uh, rings as authentic. Oh, yeah. Man appeared on Larry King Live in mid-March to defuse the initial wave of allegations, claiming he had no knowledge of sexual extortion within his company. None whatsoever, he told King. Wrestler Tom Hankins said otherwise. I told WF what happened to me and Vince McMahon refused to discuss it, says Hankins, who claims he was propositioned by Matt Patterson at a university Hilton Bar in Los Angeles in 1985 following the show at the LA Sports Arena. I was wrestling for other outfits, but I wanted to join the WF. So I asked Patterson what my chances were for a shot. He said, slim and none. <laughs> I, I like the other outfits part of this. <laughs> like we, we went over that before where, I mean, basically he was working for like outlaws. <laughs> then he said, oh, there's one way you see, I like to suck dick and I want to suck your dick. He was talking so loud. Everyone in the bar could hear. I thought I wasn't interested. He said, well, you're not going to work for us then. The following night, Hank showed up as he often did at the wrestler's dressing room, and Patterson ordered him physically removed from the area. All of a sudden, he didn't know me anymore, Hankins said. All right, let's stop for a second. So this is the most descriptive version we've had. Um, I think maybe we did read from this, too, in the first part, but still. Here's how I see it. I, I, everyone seems to have always found him credible. I've always found him credible. <sighs> If it's not a legitimate come-on that Patterson doesn't like he's being rejected for, I don't see why Tom is all of a sudden being kicked out of the locker room for the first time. Yeah. So all of this seems completely credible to me. But now it's time for Lord Littlebrook. Eric Tovey, a 63-year-old midget who serves as the agent for midget wrestlers under the stage name Lord Littlebrook, says he complained him at man four years ago in a letter about sexual harassment by WF executives against midgets. Tubby's wrestlers were promptly dropped from future wrestling cars. 
I've been in this business 40 years and I have to stoop so low as to have my boys homosexual. <laughs> well, goddamn it. I'll wash dishes in a goddamn restaurant first, says Tubby. The Karate Kid, one of Tubby's midget wrestlers, says he was sexually molested by the executive in the dressing room of Arena, New Jersey. He was screaming that he wasn't that way, says Tubby. And the boss just kept playing with him anyway. Is there a more 1992 sentence than, I've been in this business 40 years, and if I have to stoop so low as to have my boys homosexual, well, goddammit, <laughs> I'll wash dishes in a goddamn restaurant first. Homosexual. Homosexual, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. And Carl, of course, Karate Kid's his, own, his son. Well, which, <laughs> Karate Kid didn't know that at the time. It's not clear if Littlefoot did. But you got that right. So there is that, too. It's a whole other facet to the story. Yeah. Bruno Sammartino rose through the 60s and 70s, returned to F as a television announcer in 1984, said Ring announcer Phyllis had a penchant for young boys. He was once spotted in the backseat of a car in Pennsylvania performing a sexual act on an 11-year-old boy, Bruno said. Vince was told about the incident, and he left it not do anything, said Sammartino. Phyllis was briefly suspended by WF several years later for a similar act, but returned as the tour's primary announcer, staying until his resignation in March. Okay. This is presumably talking about his firing in March 88, right? Yeah. Which Vince told, you know, initially was saying, oh, um, I, that, uh, I decided that he was, you know, his, uh, whatever, the peculiar, unnatural, uh, whatever to children. Exactly. However he put it. I'd love to know what Jeff is going from here that it makes it seem like there was a specific incident. Well, here's the thing to me about this. Mel Phillips was never the primary announcer. Yeah, I mean, that phrasing is a little hanky. Um, so there's that, too. Yeah. Um, trying to see, you know, okay, so, eh, well, I guess now I can, I, this is something that I can bring out. Uh, so I'm scrolling more through these uh, witness interview notes from the Mushnick case. They did talk to Jim Stewart, who... One of the things he said was that Patterson was who talked Vincent to bringing Mel back. Hmm. Which, I mean, someone must have talked him into it. So, I don't know if I should say everything that's here, but, you know, with Patterson deceased, it, at least there's no legal concern. I mean, that's something I've heard before, so, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I don't know what I make of that, because normally we don't really hear about Patterson being directly connected to Phillips, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I'm curious what this similar act in 88 is, though, because this is the only time we ever hear about that being a specific incident. Yeah. So, now, back to Murray. Murray Hodgson retained counsel after his August 21st, 1991 dismissal, and his attorney, Edward Nussbaum, said a letter to McMahon on September 18th attributing Hodgson's alleged wrongful discharge to a direct consequence of his rejection of a homosexual advance made by a key employee of the company. The WF took offense to Hodgson's actions, with VP Patterson allegedly accosting him three months later at a local mall. He comes out of nowhere, Hodgson says, and he grabs him on the arm and says, You're an asshole, Hodgson. Vincent isn't going to stand for this. You got trouble. We're going to get you for this. He scared the living hell out of me. Hodgson enough I'm a man of the incident via fax eight days later. The morning Hodgson was to appear with a panel of accusers to face McMahon on Donahue. He says he received a call from the WF administrator asking him to fax Titan Tower a settlement figure that he thought would be fair. 
They're trying to trick me, Hodgson says. My man would have pulled out that piece of paper himself trying to buy him off. My man did indicate on the show in the face of direct charges a newly wrought vigilance for corruption. We're starting an independent investigation to get to the bottom of this. Funny, Hodgson says, but no one from the office contacted me to find out my story. They just want to shut everyone up. I've had the same car follow me everywhere where I've gone for the last three weeks. Okay. Real quick. Do you think the phrasing of McMahon would have pulled out that piece of paper and said I was trying to buy him off, do you think that's Savage transcribing the quote wrong, or do you think that's Murray saying that? I Probably direct. That's weird phrasing, then. Well, that's Murray. Yeah. He's been rattled lately. Mm. His uh, carefully practiced spiel has been uh, <laughs> been shake, shakier as times wore on. His spiel about what? That he wouldn't have sex with the uh, vice president of operations, so they fired him? <laughs> yes. John Arezzi, a New York Real announcer, also appeared on the show, says two thugs showed up at his house, phoned it, and told his mother, your son lives in a very dangerous neighborhood. The death of wrestler Billy Jack Haynes appeared on Entertainment Tonight. His father received two disturbing phone calls. Back off or jack off, the first caller said. You tell your son if he says another word, he'll be six feet under. The second one said, I'm mad as hell, said Haynes. My father has diabetes and is blind. They're scared the hell out of him. Which we talked about this stuff. You know, I'm part of yeah. yeah. Mike Clark wonders if he's next. Clark was a referee in Canada who confirmed on that can be told a sort of practice of company officials extorting sex from ring boys and other laborers. Clark says WF execs refer to the young ring crew as the cream team. I didn't get into personal stuff on the show, but I have a story of my own, says Clark, who's 21. I was sitting in the Howard Johnson Airport Hotel restaurant in Ontario at the referee in the show, and Terry Garvin sat down next to me. He said, what are you doing for full-time work? And I told him I had applied to be a car salesman. He said, I want you to come to my room. I want to talk to you. Then he got up and left. I thought, damn, I always heard about this stuff. Now it's going to happen to me. He was the boss, and I knew if I didn't go, I'd never work as a referee again. There's no way I was going to have sex with this guy. So I got to leave the hotel, but he was waiting for me in the lobby. Clark said Garvin escorted him to a room, whereupon Garvin offered him beer and pot and turned on a pornographic movie. He looked at the movie, started rubbing himself with his hand and said, does that turn you on? I said, no, it doesn't do much for me. He rubbed himself through his jeans and said, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And he looked back at the porno movie and started saying, ooh, that turns me on. <laughs> I was in that room for what seemed like forever. Finally, he said, I can set you up to work every event in Canada. I can bring you the TV tapings. I'll book you across Canada. I can leave the room with 500 bucks. I said, yeah, that'd be great. He said, how would you like to lie on the bed and have me give you a blowjob? <laughs> I told him I wasn't interested. And he got mad and kicked me out of the room. I worked about five more events, and then I was fired. <laughs> just the phrase of that makes me think of the last sequence of all that. <laughs> I just, <laughs> would you like to leave the room with $500? I said, yeah, that'd be great. Why would you like to let me on the bed give me a blowjob? <laughs> It just makes me laugh. The Before I get, thing. I get it. Yeah, I get it. The sequence of of how it goes. <laughs> oh my god! This is it's just insane. He he's so brazen. And, and I love. And, I, and how about his move of always wanting to put the porno porno on? Which also, there's no way he would have been in touch with Tom Cole with a story Tom has not told publicly at this point. So, you know. It's a, he's got a set move he likes to do. Let me put this porno on. <laughs> God almighty. You know, and then, you know, when Tom t- talks to Wrestling Perspective years later, it's that, like, he turned it on when he was at his house, and he's like, have you, and he's like, oh, it's something, it's something along the lines of, like, 
Have you ever had your cock sucked like that? Would you like me <laughs> to cut suck your cock like that? God almighty. I know. He's, it's insane. It's, like I said, like... It's insane. They're actually just... Like, they're needy, pathetic narcissists. It's just... And it's just so brazen. God damn. McMahon tried to reverse the field of sentimental Larry King lie by saying harassment of individuals who happen to be a different sexual, who happen to have a different sexual persuasion is also very, very alive. Homophobia is a big deal today. This is a curious fact. Considering there's penchant for gay bashing Adrian Adonis and the Beverly Brothers are two bad guy wrestling acts that play homosexual roles and whose opponents incite crowds of kids into a chant of faggot, faggot. They're portrayed as brothers. But I get what I, but we all know what they're, talk, what they're talking about. No matter how McMahon tries to airbrush the scandal, it stares back like a grotesque work of art. Okay, it, do you think they were supposed to be gay? No, but I think they were. I think they were supposed to be prissy. sissies, sissies, so to speak. Yeah. Yes, um, sissies. But I don't think they were supposed to be gay. I don't think no, they were supposed no, to no, be no, brothers no. who fuck each other or anything. No, they, they were supposed to be supposed to be. Sissies, pussies. Yeah, you know, and where the fans would chant that at them. Yes, right. Which, to be clear, the Bushwhackers were doing that at like every show of their program. Is what's yeah, being talked about here. It wasn't a one night thing. But and look at their and look at their working against. <laughs> well, that's different. Which is the most ironic of all the whole thing. Look at <laughs> blew your gimmick, mate. <laughs> blew your gimmick, mate. Yeah. Uh, well, let's go to the Observer to summarize all of this. The September issue of Penthouse Magazine, which is news time, which hits the newsstands Monday, July 27th, with Howard Stern on the cover, has an article on Vincent Man and the World's Federation. The article written by Jeff Savage, who broke several of the original stories in the San Diego Union Tribune earlier this year, entitled No Holds Barred, jumps from one sort of tale to another, most, without all of which, would be known by the majority of Observer readers. The wrestling article is part of a three-article series entitled Bad Sports Illustrated with a mock SI cover, which includes articles on boxing and baseball. The fact the wrestling store was published was much to the chagrin of Titan Sports and lawyer Jerry McDevitt, who sent letters to the magazine trying to blot the article. McDevitt's main arguments were that he claimed Savage's main source for the story had duped him and was a convicted felon, and that Savage had never tried to contact David for comment. Since McDevitt should have had no idea of who the main source was, or if there was even a main source, which from the article... It was obvious there were many different sources. That cleared up the first part of, the, of his question. The second comment was even funnier, since Savage apparently had phone bill records showing three or four tips to contact the WF and that man personally, and that if it was WF that had never responded to the calls. The article talked about the various subjects and stories that were reported by the national media months back. As last week went on from a letter McDevitt sent to the New York Times, McDevitt was referring to Lee Cole as a source who supposedly duped Savage and was an ex-con. And attempting to cloud the real issue by trying to obfuscate things and create a personal vendetta, illusion with Alice Marvez, who sent out the wire service story about the federal investigation into Titan Sports last week that ran throughout the country. McDevitt wrote in a letter to the higher-ups at the Times about Lee Cole, saying he had a signed affidavit saying that Cole had made up his story, threatened physical harm on a deaf employee if they didn't quit the organization, and that he had served time at Rikers Island, a prison in the New York area. So we can deduce he had been referring to Cole when he talked about Savage's main source. There were quotes from both Lee and Tom Cole in the penthouse store, but the co store covered far more ground than anything else, uh, uh, anything either of those two said. The main new material was not at all very nice portrait of Mr. Man personally, with the main source being Jim Stewart, McMahon's former limo driver, 
in a detailed description of the alleged encounter between a man and former referee Rita Chatterton in 1986, where Chatterton claimed she, after she was allegedly raped, that McMahon brought up his ground rules to Chatterton about not having sex with any company employees, and while she cried, he laughed at her and said she'd just broken that rule. It's been thir- around 13 months since mainstream media publicity started with a steroid trial of Dr. Joel Zaharian. The biggest problem has been that there's too much to easily digest and too many stories that have nothing to do with one another, all having been lumped into just one bag. The issue that started it was steroids. And both major promotions deserve praise amongst all the deserve criticism. And that's pretty obvious that use is way down over the past year in both WF and WCW. Over the past week, different WF sources have indicated steroid use is almost non-existent because of the high penalty of being caught in tests that are seemingly difficult to beat. Although three different names have been mentioned by many as it being hard to believe they're on or anything, with Ron Russell stating that a certain major star had a free pass on a test, certainly on a percentage basis, we are talking about less than 10% a figure that probably compares favorably to other sports in which size and power are a criteria. Certainly Titan with the favoritism in the test, although the penthouse story in talking about drug tests years back detailed a man allegedly covering up positive test results in the past. The name that's continually mentioned in this vein, which will probably be the first name most of you would come up with, is noticeably smaller than he was one year ago, but still more muscular than one would suspect a clean bodybuilder to be. Not to mention a wrestler's on the road day after day. While one can scoff at Titan steroid testing and the company's honesty in dealing publicly with the various news stories, one fact remains. Use of steroids been WF is way, way down from this time last year. It said a lower level than anyone one year ago would have thought would have been possible within the organization. So while the company probably deserves no credit at all for its honesty in dealing with the subject, it does deserve credit for its results. Whether one or three out of 50 or so wrestlers are still in the stuff, that's far less than the 90% figure that so many wrestlers were estimated at this point last year, let alone the 50% figure that appeared to be the case as late as January's Royal Rumble, two months after the first test and six months after the first announcement. Since Dr. Mauro Di Pasquale was brought in to head the Titan drug program in May, there have been at least one steroid suspension, at least one wrestle let go, and reportedly $1,000 fines for marijuana use. This is, for almost everyone, if not everyone, a fairly strict drug test that has made tremendous strides, not lowering the levels and nearly ridding the business of one of its biggest problems. As has been mentioned to death, the current hiring practices still favor athletes using steroids before their WF tenure in order to get a job with the organization. So there's still a major degree of hypocrisy to all this, but laughing at the policy at face value and examination is also unfair. Steroid use in WCW has also declined in recent months, even without testing. A major reason for the decline has been, surprisingly, maybe more than anything, lack of availability. The new laws have made it much harder, not impossible, but much harder to get real steroids. In addition, there's fear among the wrestlers at any time. Bill wants me to institute a surprise steroid test. The wrestlers have been warned it could happen. And whether or not Watts does a test or not, that warning for the present time has had the effect of getting guys off the juice. While I doubt use is as low as they for the present time, although it appears to be as low as it has been in the NWA WCW since steroid phenomenon hit. It's also far less than WS use was at the same time after his first steroid announcements. Since it's been six months since Kip Fry's first policy statement, and use as well in the apparent 50% figure of the WF six months after their first announcement. Now, since the subject of blood and wrestling has become so controversial, the World Health Organization has come up with several guidelines for sports federations regarding the spreading of HIV, HIV virus. According to the WHO, HIV can be spread either from sharing bodily fluids, blood in particular, or through sex, which they guess in some cases constitutes the same thing. HIV can't be spread through sweat or body, athletic body contact. The chances of it being spread in a situation where one person is bleeding is considered minuscule. In a contest where two men are bleeding, 
The WHO recommends to immediately stop the contest and not resume until the bleeding has ceased or the bleeding parties have both been bandaged up. Since many wrestling companies are loaded with double juice matches, and nobody's gone to the WHO doctors and told them about the out-of-the-ring lifestyle of certain wrestlers, Dave gets the feeling that it's a strong argument against double-juice matches. Not strong enough anyone doing those kind of matches will listen, because the doctors aren't overreacting, someday we'll all listen, and at that point, it'll be way too late. Okay, um, first things first, Dave, I think in the next week's issue, has his detailed penthouse breakdown, so we'll get to that later. Um, okay, HIV, I think we know by now, probably not something you can transmit in a double-juice wrestling match. Uh, no. Hepatitis is a different story. Well, yeah. Um, so, you know, I think we can get through that pretty quickly. Um, for steroids, I mean, clearly the company's been cleaning up. Is it perfect? No. You know, and we have the warrior drug tests which show us that he's really failing and still being treated as passing. But it's clearly a much cleaner company in terms of steroids than it was a year earlier. Yeah. Um, and then as far as the other analysis here, I mean, we'll have more about the Alex Marvez, Jerry McDevitt legal threat situation later, but I mean, this is where we get into it here. It doesn't even say though, who the alleged affidavit was from saying that the Coles made things up and I'm not sure what I make of that. And then also the Rikers Island thing, which Lee says isn't true, and given everything else he admits, why would he lie about that? Yeah. There, the only reason you would meant it's more in WWF's interest to lie and use the infamous name Rikers Island than it is for Lee to deny that he had ever been incarcerated there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. Anything else? I mean, I guess that's it for now for the Observer part, right? The day, here's what they talked about, though, and we kind of talked about this before, too. The problem with everything going on here is all this stuff is just a bunch of stuff jumbled up together. Mm-hmm. And, and what's different about what's going on now is all they're talking about now is the sexual harassment stuff and all the stuff that Vince did. So that is the focal point. There's nothing else other than that. That's why this, this new stuff on Vince is sticking more. Because you have a centralized story. Well, that's one reason, but also the SEC implications. Still, though. Yeah, but still, it's a centralized story. Yeah. There's no, there's no, a bunch of stories. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, I get what you're saying. The only story that's come from a separate outlet is the New York Magazine Rita Chatterton thing, which is entirely on point. But it's, it, it's in this, yeah, it's in yeah. this same vein. So it all goes together. Yeah, there was such... You don't have steroids. You don't have steroids. You don't have, um, you know, some of the other things that was going on. So... I mean, I mean let's, let's put it this way. You have steroids. You have... I guess you can lump in the other illegal drug use there, since that's not being dwelled on that much. Um, so let's say drugs, um, gay for pay casting couch, ring boys, and Vince and Rita. Right, I would say. So I think there are really four separate scandals here. And three of them you can kind of put under the same company culture brush. But still, it it just jumbles it all up. Yeah. Well, now we have more Dave, but in a different venue. All right. 
Dave was interviewed by John Arezzi. And for the spotlight, this is part three. All right. Who's who here? All right. Uh, I'll be uh, John Arezzi again. All right. So I, I get to be the uh, Jewish gentleman named Dave. Okay. Dave. <laughs> yes. Whatever. All right. You have gotten much praise for your work over the years. Recently, you've also received a lot of criticism of your Donahue show appearance. A lot of people said you weren't tough enough on WWF head Vincent Mann. How do you respond to those critics? That's a valid point. I can see where people are coming from. A lot of people don't know Vince McMahon. For better or worse, I do. I've, I, oops, sorry. I accidentally moved my cursor into the wrong place somehow. Okay, for better or worse, there we are. I do. I've dealt with him a decent amount over the past year. It was a weird situation. On the Donahue show, there were a lot of people who wanted me to do to Vince McMahon what Murray Hodgson did to him. And they felt like this could do some major damage to Vince in the WWF. First of all, it wouldn't. Whatever was going to happen on the Donahue show was an hour of entertainment for most people, and that's all it was going to be. I was there to learn. Interesting choice of words there. And I knew what I was going to do going in. I did what I had planned on doing. Looking back in hindsight, there were plenty of things that maybe I would have done different. I just watched a tape of the show yesterday because I was dubbing it for a friend in Japan. I hadn't seen it in a few months. I really looked at it. John, you and I were there, and very few others. Uh, very few people knew the atmosphere. Who knew what was going on? I knew there was, were going to be people who were going to be wild, like Billy Graham. For me, I felt the most important thing to do, excuse me, I felt the most important thing was to try to deal with the issues with some credibility, because too many people were going to look at that show and see huge wrestlers yelling and screaming and think they were trying to work some wrestling angle. I felt coming off as credible was the most important thing. Another thing was that before the show, Ed Glavin, Donahue's producer, made the point to spend as much time on the sex stuff and as little on the steroid issue as possible. I had all these steroid documents, and I couldn't bring any of them out there. I had plenty of steroid stuff, but the sex stuff, hey, I didn't know. I don't know the truth there. I talked to a lot of people, and I have an idea of some of the stuff that came out. Some of the charges that are out there, I believe there's truth to them. Some of them I don't know. I can't say to Vince McMahon, hey, you knew for 20 years what was going on. The kids were being abused and you laughed at it. People wanted me to say that, but I didn't know that. When the steroid came, stuff came out, I got aggressive. Donnie, you wanted to control the show. There were a couple of points that were made on that issue. A couple of times I started talking, Phil just didn't go to me. During that steroid thing, I just wanted to talk, talk, talk. That's the subject that I had researched. I don't think enough was devoted to it. I think that lumping the two issues into one show wasn't fair. I think there should have been one show on one subject and one show on the other. Oh, sorry. I didn't scroll enough. Uh, you can't cover the <laughs> steroid issue in 15 minutes. Jeez, Dave, Dave was long-winded even then. Um, <laughs> You need a show to talk about the social ramifications. You've got to completely re-educate the steroids. There's profit for pushing guys on steroids. People should understand what uh, these guys are doing to themselves to look like that and care, which is the second thing. A lot of people who know don't care. They look at wrestlers like they're non-persons, but rather entertainment figures. They haven't seen a Billy Graham. For all the criticism he's taken, the fact is this guy is suffering really bad. There's a lot of guys in this business that may end up the same way. I don't want to see anyone end up like that. For all they want to paint Billy Graham as, and he's not what they, and he's not what they say. One of uh, the things is he doesn't want other guy, the other guys to end up like him. 
to be 40 to 45 years old and have to live another 25 years the way he has to live is sad. The steroid issue really gets you going. It's sad it's so difficult to get the respect for covering such an important story because it's only pro wrestling. Well, the one thing is that the whole topic has done, including the Zahorian trial, is give the wrestling media a chance to shine. I think a few people have really developed a name from their coverage of it. It was a difficult issue and required a lot of thinking and a lot of understanding. I think the wrestling media did a heck of a better job than those covering track or college football and other sports on the issue. The wrestling media just hammered at it until Vince McMahon and Kip Fry had to address it. Titan Sports just wanted to ignore the Zahorian trial. But they couldn't ignore it. The fact is, if it weren't for the wrestling media, the topic wouldn't be addressed. The wrestling media has a bigger influence in the business than ever before. I think that's very positive. All right, a lot to unpack here. Where do you want to start? Well, the thing about Dave caring so much about steroids is from Dave's background on bodybuilding. Yes. If Dave doesn't have that background on bodybuilding, he probably doesn't cover steroids like he does. Not the same way. Now, granted, he's not the only one going at it pretty hard. You know, Alex, I think, did a particularly good job with it, too. Yeah, but whose examples he following? Dave. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, and John so, did as well, but... Yeah, but uh, still, it's Dave is setting the example. Yes. Um, I mean, it's, it's just a lot of the same Dave stuff we hear, though. So, you know, this is nothing really groundbreaking here. No. I mean, do you agree with him, though, that the wrestling media is who made the biggest difference in terms of the Zorian stuff? I get his point. Even I'm not sure I, I completely agree with it. Yeah, I mean, I get it. So. Yeah. Um, as far as Donahue... I think he does a reasonably good job addressing the criticisms here. Yeah. I don't think there's anything you can quibble with too much. Um, he felt he'd come in as the, you know, be the expert about the stuff he can be an expert in. Yes. But I can't think of any specific comments. I mean, it, Dave has always kind of given the impression, though, especially in later years, that he did. He did have an idea of what was being talked about that was going on, though, right? Yeah. So, I, th I think he's going a little too far in the direction of, I don't know, on that stuff. But I think he's right that his biggest strength in that environment is to be the fact check on the stuff he can definitively be a fact check on. Yeah. Carly could have done it differently, but I, get, I totally get where he's coming from with that. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the week of August the 3rd. Observe August the 10th. And Dave is talking more about Penthouse. Most of the talk over the past week centered around the article on the World West Federation and Penthouse Magazine hit newsstands last Monday. There's been a lot of reaction, both positive and negative, towards the piece. Although the issue will be on the stands for a few more weeks, it appears as far as mainstream news stores concerned, this piece in and of itself isn't going to have any major aftershocks. Right now, because all sports media is overloaded because of the Olympics. Nothing in pro wrestling is about to gain any attention. Although there have been complaints that the story is nothing but a rehash, and much of the material was reported months back. There were seventy revelations that hadn't been broken anywhere nationally in the story. As far as complaints, the story wasn't current. That is simple the nature of the piece in any article in any major magazine has an early deadline. Although we received no official word from WF regarding this reaction. Although officially, we've been told the company was obviously less than thrilled and tried to dismiss the story as being a bunch of lies. Others are going to accept it as the unquestioned truth, which may also be as almost unfair as dismissing it as all lies. 
Here's my thing about the, the, the story. I think it being a penthouse also hurts it yeah. as far as perception. Because it's penthouse magazine. Yes. Like, on one hand, it is easily the most wide-ranging, detailed, etc. national media story on all this. And it gets into the Ring Boy stuff and all that, but it's in Penthouse. Pen, I said Penthouse magazine. Okay, serious question for though. And people think I might be joking about this, but I'm absolutely not. Do you think this story makes a bigger difference if it's in Playboy? Uh, um, given its I reputation think, for I think I journalistically, think it might, I think it would help it more. But I actually think this would have a bigger. If it was in the fucking Inquirer, I think it would be a bigger story. Hmm. Because even the National Enquirer is what it is. I mean, they had a lot of big stories in the Enquirer that got a lot of traction. Not necessarily long form, though. But I get your not feature writing necessarily. But yeah, um, I mean, Penthouse had good stuff. I mean, you know, there's Irv's von Eric's article. I mean, I don't really know uh, more. Yeah, but again, that's it's, it's we're talking about mainstream public opinion. That's what I'm saying, though. That's where I'm going with that. Like. We know there was good stuff in Penthouse as far as journalistically, but we it, even with it being there, it still didn't have the rep for that the way that Playboy did. Whether that is the nature of the nudity in the two magazines or the degree to which Playboy had gone highbrow with the with a lot of the articles and columns and stuff, or both, I don't know. But it, it's still a big difference in terms of public perception that, like, you know, I mean, I'll say it like I was I was digging around because I wanted to see if I could get a cleaner copy of the article for when I did the OCR. I was looking at the Internet Archive and the collection someone had there. It only had the issue from the month before. But still, I mean, it's like for better or worse, people are going to see the magazine where there's, you know, quote unquote, pink shots, as the term was at back in the day with the pubic wars and all that. And, you know, your, um, what was the, I guess they use simulated was the term for, you know, man, woman shoots too. Well, like, it wasn't Hustler. Right. It wasn't Hustler. Hustler, but Hustler had penetration. Yes. But it's so much more explicit that yes. it's more it's overtly, it's, but it's more overtly going to be quote unquote porn in the average person's eye in a way that Playboy might not be. Yeah. All right. Uh, yes. All right. Back to Dave. I've got a really unique vantage point in this story. Having been in the middle of almost everything that's gone on from start to finish, I probably talked to all the major particulars involved, most at great length. The most important lessons to be learned in all this is that no matter how hideous revelations might go public, the only real long-term damage that can happen in regard to wrestling from publicity of this type will come from merchandisers dropping their involvement in television stations dropping shows. While these stories may have had, in fact, probably have had a minor effect on house show attendance and television ratings this summer, that effect is almost always going to be short-term, provided all the hype mechanisms, mainly television and merchandising, stay in place. Come September, it is believed that there will be a significant drop in wrestling hours on television. We're already seeing examples of that today. You go to any toy store and see the downplaying of displays of wrestling merchandise as compared with six months ago. The stores have major effects already, but mainly in indirect rather than direct ways. This isn't going to mean the class of anyone, at least anyone on a major scale. It's going to mean some budget downsizing in the WF, which we're already seeing, most of which will go unnoticed to all but the most hardcore followers and the pocketbooks of the wrestlers themselves. Just as important, it's a while this happened. Mr. Man set himself and his company up for this, 
and not even because of what was reported as much as because of decisions on how to handle previous PR problems in a manner that destroyed the company's credibility. Anyone who thinks otherwise is trying to scapegoat the blame. It was man's decision to have himself, his company's spokesperson, and his leading star continually lie to both the press and the public in regard to the steroid issue. In typical wrestling short-term thinking, the lies wouldn't be damaged in the short term and would cause all the problems to go away because the press would get fired and no wrestling as usual. It probably seemed like the correct PR move at the time, but the long-term results of the lies were brutally damaging. What happened was after all the lies, the company lost all credibility and anything it would say to the most media outlets to cover this story. CBS Evening News seemed to be the long exception, and their piece was hardly positive either, although of the few outlets like USA Today did run pub pieces during the same time period. When the other stories broke, whether true or false, a man set himself up to be a sitting duck for any accusations thrown his way by anyone because his responses to other issues were lies. His selfish performances were even more lies. And his outright denials of everything were taken to be even more lies. Some of the denials were probably dishonest. But if there had been some truth to some of the denials, how could it be taken seriously? There were no denials he could issue and no statement he could make that would have credibility at a time when he desperately needed credibility. This led to him being a sitting duck when several media outlets investigated, but ultimately he was saved from the greatest scrutiny by the very fact the subject matter involved pro wrestling, and so many media outlets immediately thought the other way when it comes to an ugly set of stories to begin with. Let alone when they involve something, let alone when they involve something generally held to disrepute, disrepute by pro wrestling. Okay, absolutely. That, yes, what I'm wondering about though is that comment about this story has had major effects already, but mainly in indirect rather than indirect ways. <sighs> knowing that this story is what leads the World Wildlife Fund to be like, you know what? This is bullshit. We're not sharing that name with them. We're going to start fighting some of their trademark applications and stuff outside of the U.S. Do we think they've already gotten a nasty letter from the World Wildlife Fund? It's possible. Specifically citing this story? It's possible. Which, yeah, by the way, everyone, like, Yes, like, it's not well known, but if you go through all the records that are available publicly from the World Wildlife Fund thing, the Penthouse article was the catalyst for them starting to fight fight them on the name. My thing about all this is what I think what Dave's trying to say here in so many words was, this has happened, that we can't really gauge the effect this is having on the business because the business is already going down. Well, that's part of it, yes. If this would have happened... A year or two earlier, then we would maybe have a better tale of how this was really affecting it. Yeah. And it's uh, been, it all, hasn't been long yet, anyway. Yeah. With all credibility gone, Titan's next step was legal bullying tactics. They had mixed results. While I may have delayed a few stories from getting out, perhaps even killed others, one of which would have probably resulted in more serious repercussions. I wonder what that would have been. In the case of the Printhouse story, it worked in reverse, with the result being the most nasty story imaginable. I got pretty good knowledge as to what the author, Jeff Savage, went through from the time he started covering this story from San Diego Union Tribune as simply what was planned to be a personality profile on superstar Billy Graham. Well before Graham had any intentions of being involved in the media war with Vince McMahon. To what it ended up being, which is the stories of breaking the original charges of Ring Boys being sexually abused by WF higher-ups. The results of his and other stories led to short-term phasing out of Hulk Hogan, which led to the worst summer on record as far as attendance and ratings, and the resignations of Pat Patterson and Terry Garvin. Given that, was Savage fair in his brutal portrayal of McMahon? 
if you look at things from his perspective, again, what he went through during doing his original stories, the lies he was told that he found out about, the legal threats and swerve tactics thrown his way, yes. He was fair in judging the character of an individual he didn't know, nor never talked with, and the only way he could give in the behavior of the character in response to the pressure. It was not Savage's fault. Savage's fault. McMahon chose his response. My day's feelings of Savage should have made it clear that Barry Warren's allegations took place in 1978 when none of those involved were for the WF. And that story about Hulk Hogan doing cocaine in the airplane took place in 1982, where Dave had that wrong, 83, when he and Graham were both working in the AWA. However, both anecdotes are relevant to the big story because Orton's story involved those who were major decision makers of Titan, and Hogan had been marketed in a manner that cocaine use is an issue. Aside from those minor points, Dave had no qualms of what was printed given his perspective. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think so too. Um, uh, you know what? Let's just get into the uh, granular part now as we get Dave's note-by-note stuff. Now that there's been several months, these different cases have been brought up and be looked at in a different light. They have to be examined individually, so here we go. Homosexuality in the dressing room is blatant if you drop the soap. Billy Jack Haynes. This quote went national entertainment tonight and was sent me in other places. As far as homosexuality goes, the last time Dave checked, it wasn't a crime, so it may have been a colorful quote, but means nothing. It's all come out in the open about the social persuasion of a few XWF officers. But the question isn't their choice of personal behavior, but they use their power to harass employees. You can make heterosexual and be just as guilty of the same thing. Although it doesn't make as colorful a copy. Well, at that time, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, that yeah. specific, like we said earlier, that specific part of that story is a bit whatever. You know, do you do you have to take it with the actual allegation? A little, but I don't know. But it's still it's it does color things a little bit. Rita Chatterton story since now can be told aired. I've they spoken with two different major wrestling personalities who were around the scene in nineteen eighty six when this alleged incident took place. Both claimed to have known Chatterton and she confided her story to both of them. One claim she told him shortly after the incident. Details of a conversation with McMahon and the person she she never brought up in a rape. The other claims she had told him the story, and the story she told him now can be told the same story she told him in 1986. Suppose at one point, David Schultz was trying to set up a class action suit against McMahon and knew about Chatterton's story and contacted her, and she denied it. But she later went back to Schultz years before this broke publicly in early 1992 and told the story that she later went public with. Stuart, the limo driver, was there and could confirm everything. Chatterton set up to the point she went to the limo. From that point on, it's one person's word. Chatterton's. I guess another's. Silence. McMahon. Legally, the statute of limitations ran out years ago. In this case, you can't judge truth by legality because truth has no time limitations. Okay. The person who says she told the story in 1986 but it, that it was consensual, we know now from what they've said that it was Tom Zank. Which... Yes. Even setting aside that it's Tom Zank, I don't buy it. How the, the degree of overlap they would have had in the WWF would have been so minimal that there's no way she's just randomly confiding anything in this guy. Well, what was her last date? She uh, she can be seen on in a, well. She said she didn't work any typical TV traditional TV tapings. I should say. But there's stuff from her in 87 that airs on primetime. Well, he's there. But still, though, she's only working commissioned to sign shows and not working TV tapings. Or at least that's her story. I'd have to, I'd have to check where the 
match that I remember seeing on primetime was. Yeah. Um, but still, I don't... Here's the thing. Even in the event that Tom Zank was telling the truth, like, disclosing an assault is complicated. Especially if it's to someone you don't know well. You know? We know she told one of her closest friends in wrestling who she broke into the business with at the time exactly what she ended up saying in 1992. Um... I feel like that's more important than what a less credible wrestler says she told him when they didn't really have much of a relationship. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'm curious who the other one is. Um, oh, okay. So Googling. Well, she was working some dates beyond New York, though. Because this one, the one I just found in a Scott Keith review, is a uh, Boston Garden show, and on commentary, Jimmy Hart refers to the referee uh, Rita Marie as "quote unquote" overweight, out of shape, and out of date. Wow. And I mean, we should note, you know, Rita says explicitly in the New York Magazine article that. Uh, she knows there were rumors going around at the time that she and Vince had an affair, but that's, and that's just because she's a woman in the wrestling business bullshit. It probably doesn't even have anything to do with what did or didn't happen in that limo. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, now I'm curious, and I guess I'll ask Dave to see if he remembers who the other wrestler he talked to that he's talking about here was, because he did not mention this person back in April. Well, maybe it was Mancini. He said, but that doesn't fit the description. Major wrestling personality? Well, yeah, I got I mean, yeah. You're um, right. I mean, it, could it be Andre? Possible. I did ask Dave if he talked to Andre, if the major wrestling personality he mentioned, or one of the biggest stars in the business that he mentioned in the April stuff was Andre, and he said he was talking about Zank. But, I mean, I believe her that the only people she told in 86 were Andre and Mancini. It seems clear that at some point she told Schultz later on, based on some of the stuff we know about with the PI, but that whole thing is so muddy, because some of what we know is from the WWF side, which isn't exactly the most reliable narrator, so I don't know. Um, but let's move on now to Murray, I guess. Murray Hotch. Hopefully there will come a day when the court order sealing Hotch's deposition is lifted, and we'll get a chance to see what exactly came out. At that point, it'll be reported here. Until that happens, there's nothing that can be prudently said other than in rewatching the conversation on Donahue. And based on the facts that I've later found out, McMahon did lie about saying it took Hodgson months to come forward and has never offered what would be damaging evidence on Hodgson of showing Hodgson asking for $160,000 or he appear on the show as he claimed on the show. And Hodgson vehemently denied. It must also be stated that the split between Hodgson and lawyer as Nutsbaum can certainly be taken to the sign that what came out in the deposition was available to the Hodgson. Such the Titan sources have insisted ever since the deposition. Okay. Knowing that the letter from Nussbaum a few weeks after the firing is real, which is what this is referring to, it's almost kind of, it's a, I'm a snake, it's my nature thing. What is the point of Vince lying about how long it took him to come forward? Especially when they, you know, it's clear that by the time of Donahue, Vince already knew all this shit about Hodgson. What yeah. is the point about lying about something that, that one of the few things that can actually make you look bad here with Murray? Yeah. Like, yeah. 
that's just that's just a bad miscalculation from Vince. Um, yeah. I wish we found out more about the uh, proof of employment letter sent to his landlord, but I I mean we never hear more about that. But I you know doubling back to the first show, given that it's something he would have to produce if someone asked, I. I do believe Hodgson that they sent that proof of employment letter. Do you? Yeah. So, by having sent a proof of employment letter so early, and like, and which I get he's moving to Connecticut, but still, like, by having that proof of employment letter in the ether, and then lying about when he came forward, they they made him look much better than he deserved to look. Mm-hmm. And because he's a handsome guy and a slick talker, it got him a lot of air, and then long-term, and at the time, too, it, he did a lot of damage to the perception of everyone else that came forward in Titan Gate because he turned out to be so full of shit. Yep. And now, Tom Cole. Savage's story went to detail on Tom Cole's complaint. The source for the complaint that was quoted was Tom Cole, not Lee Cole. Jeremy Devitt, a lawyer for Titan, claiming a letter to the New York Times and another at the penthouse to the source, presumably Lee Cole duped Savage and made up the story. Lee Cole denied it vehemently, but the fact is it was Tom Cole who talked to Savage. It was Tom Cole who did a video that never aired on Now Can Be Told. And it was Tom Cole who received the settlement from Titan in exchange to agree not to pursue legal action. Lee Cole has gone on numerous radio shows over the past several weeks. It's now estranged from his brother. And it's completely disappeared since doing the Curtis and Lisa Sweetler show in New York 10 days ago. He does have an admitted criminal background. His credibility has also been questionable at many points. But how does that explain Chris Lowe's? But as soon as he went public, just suddenly went silent about the entire affair. If Lowe's is part of a conspiracy to make up a story organized by Lee Cole, why did he and another ex-ring boy in Niagara Falls area tell friends the same story only in far more detail? One of whom is new newsletter writer Mike Sawyer of Buffalo. And why have several others from different parts of the country come forward with similar stories? Okay. Um, w- this appears to be, because I, I think McDevitt mentions this in Phil's deposition. I'm not sure. He did also mention this in The Legal Threat to Me and Business Insider, which I guess I'll, I'll read from here. Um... A few other non-exhaustive comments on your numbered paragraphs are further evidence of just your reckless disregard for the truth. Which, by the way, it's been almost two years, so if, there, if we were showing any reckless disregard for the truth, none of us ever got sued, so thanks, Jerry. Um, your paragraph two reports that Phillips would masturbate while holding Cole's feet, which is not exactly what it says anyway. Tom Cole denied under oath that any... Well, I forget how we phrased it in the email. We did adjust some things based on the letter, which honestly made it a better article. Um, Tom Cole denied under oath that any such thing happened and told us that his brother Lee, a convicted felon and con man, posed as Tom and put that false detail out to make the story sound more lurid and sexual in order to get it published. Um, Okay. The first part... I believe... Uh, did, do I have it linked in the article? I have because it's something they filed publicly. I do have the excerpts of Tom's deposition from the Mushnick case um, where he's asked about that. And from the line of questioning, it seems like it's McDevitt trying to be overly literal 
about the wording that's being used when, at least in the original Union Tribune article, Tom's not quoted directly. It seems like he's referring to the thing with the feet in the crotch. But the Penthouse article does claim to quote Tom about that, but it doesn't... I just don't... Here's the thing. If you have proof, if you have proof of him saying this like under oath that... Hold on, let me read this again. He denied under oath any six have and told us that Lee said that. Okay, sorry. So, if he told you that Lee made that up and posed as him, you're not going to show me any proof of that? Yeah. Something that would completely derail this article? If you have proof, why aren't you showing it to us? You know? Yes. And there's a bunch of weird shit in those depositions, in some of those depositions, too, where it's like, I mean, you can't take what he's saying as guy asking the question face value, you know? It's complicated that way. Um, so, we also need to know, too, this is, I don't know if this is ever out, outright stated publicly, but it's in Tom's eventual lawsuit in 93, and Dave's reporting on it, which I can't remember if we've covered that week. There is the allegation that they basically locked him in a room and refused to let him leave Titan Towers until he signed a bunch of statements against his will. Yeah. Which, being that all this stuff they said he said, or allude to him saying, that he's never said anywhere else, you know, because there's also, you know, the there's Lee posing as him, there's, um, oh, there's something else I'm forgetting. There's more. But it's like, I buy that something like that happened. Again, it's like, of all the stuff they've said out, in, you know, to me and into wrestling media and stuff over the years, there's nothing really that you can prove false if you have the ability to. I've always found them credible in terms of that stuff. So, yeah, besides, you know, he's the most vocal, but we know there are other victims. Like, come on. Like, in the grand scheme of things, this doesn't fall apart just because even in the event that Tom called exaggerated or whatever. All right. Super Star Billy Graham injecting Hogan with testosterone in the Pontiac Silverdome. He had scar tissue on his butt from so many injections over the years it was hard to shove the needle in. Graham has said this on numerous occasions. McMahon tried to say Graham was lying about this on Donahue. I believe Graham, James said. Every star split with on the subject was around during that time period believed Graham was telling the truth. So Graham, I guess, is at the Silverdome. And if other wrestlers around are saying he was, then okay. Graham said the Hulk off the store and cook in the dressing room for matches and then would crash recklessly into his opponents in the ring. I don't know about often. I've talked to a lot of wrestlers and I've heard a lot of the firsthand stories like that, but I have heard one very specific case. I mean, are there much in the way of stories about Hogan injuring people or anything like that? No. He's saying he heard one very specific case. I wonder what that is. But I don't know. Do you buy this one? It's possible. I buy that it happened. I don't buy... I, right. It's the often is the question mark, though. Schultz said Hogan sold a potpourri of drugs throughout the 80s and was known in wrestling circles as the Tampa Pipeline. To Davis, a very relevant point. If one of the major heroes aimed at children in the 80s was a black market drug pusher at some point in his life, if this is true, Davis not saying he should be sent to the slaughter or hung in chains for it, but it's a point that needs to be made clear. A lot of people have done a lot of things when they were young and broke, and they wish they hadn't done when they were older and financially well off, but they still did them at the face up to them. 
when Schultz first said that on some radio shows in January, I never heard about that about Hogan previously. If there's anything originally said by Graham and Schultz that Dave was skeptical of, this is it. Quite frankly, if Schultz was lying, Hogan should have filed a suit against him. Although Dave recognizes the defense that public denial or a lawsuit only brings more publicity to the charges. In this case, these charges may keep coming back to haunt him if they aren't addressed at some point. That hasn't materialized. Hogan's silence in this case is deafening. Made man and others from Titan and even wrestling and bodybuilding magazines who have tried to defend Hogan's apparent steroid use by saying they were legal at the time, which in the case of most wrestlers, including Hogan, trying to use that defense wasn't even the case because they were illegal in Florida and California years before the federal law changed in 1991. Need to get the truth out of this question. Clearly, being a drug pusher hasn't been legal in any state during any of our lifetimes. Okay. Um, I feel like the point about Hogan not suing him is a lot more valid in 2022 than it was in 1992 because a few years after this, Hogan becomes incredibly litigious, just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the Kate Kennedy thing is the first thing we really know about, but I bet if we dug around, there's probably more of people he, you know, was very active in suing. Um, that's a hefty allegation to throw against someone in that position who would become very litigious and not get sued over. Mm-hmm. You know, and I spe- and I specified litigiousness thing because not everyone's going to sue, but it's Hulk Hogan. Um, and he's got his movies and all this at that time. He has a movie specifically that's being targeted kids that he's shooting around this time. So I'd love to know more details. Um, I mean, the gun charge, you could wonder if it's related. It's possible it's not, though, because if there was anywhere there wasn't going to be any use for him dealing drugs, it would be while he was in the WWF. Unless he was specifically dealing street drugs, that is. You know? But if we're talking about steroids, pills, etc., there would be no need for that in WWF in 1981, because it's a Um... As far as I know, he's never denied it. Nope. Um, there is... going to tread carefully here. There is the whole issue of how... I don't know if it would be related to this or something else. The prosecutors in the Vince trial seemed awfully convinced that Hogan had damaging testimony. And then even with their theory of the case that ended up being a mess anyway, he didn't really... And Hogan clearly didn't want to testify, so how did they get Hogan to testify? Even if he didn't really say anything. Yeah. It makes you wonder. That's probably the furthest I should go with that. But, I mean, what do you make of the Tampa pipeline before we move on? <laughs> well, I mean, it's a joke that we made on this show. Um, it's a funny nickname, if nothing else. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very possible. I mean, it's... That Hogan has involvement. That Hogan had involvement, yes. I mean, you know, look, the, you know, we know the Wyndhams were involved with drug dealers. Yeah. Later on, sure, they're not the only ones. Billy Jack Haynes claims to have been involved with drug dealers, and yeah. it's not a stretch to say that a wrestler who's connected to bodybuilding and other stuff, and might have access to stuff, would be just speaking generally a drug hookup for a bunch of other wrestlers. There have all, I mean, there have always been on the indies, you know, 20 years ago. There's a name that I've been told was convicted, but I've never seen the actual proof, so I'm not going to mention his name. But 
that was a drug hookup, at least for steroids. There are wrestlers now who are considered drug hookups for street drugs. I mean, it's not the most outlandish thing in the world, certainly. I would like to have a better idea of what time frame it's being connected to and what territories, yeah. but it's not the most outlandish thing. No. You motherfuckers all tested black again. That's it, goddammit. I've had enough. I'm not coming for you anymore. The store claimed man was less than four for I never seen his drug program. One wrestler told Savage that my man screamed this at a team meeting during a te television tape in Amarillo this past January. I've talked with two of the wrestlers who confirmed such a meeting took place behind closed doors. And my man was upset about the Marty Janani situation, which just took place days earlier. Neither recall my man saying anything that would indicate he was admitting covering up positive tests. Jim Stewart told Savage one of the biggest WS biggest names routinely tests positive for cocaine by any repercussions. Stories of jobbers only be clean, peeing, and test cuts for Hogan, and two or three major stars have been told oftentimes, and by many. Those critical drug programs have long said a man will simply cover up for most of the positives and use the negatives to punish someone out of favor. The way the steroid program was handled from the beginning seemed to create a lot more questions than answers. It was a full nine months after McMahon telling the public that steroid W symbol stands for drug-free sports entertainment before there was any significant drop in steroid use. However, now one year later, the drop in use has been significant, but has it been eliminated? Allegations persist of the very same wrestler Stewart told Savage McMahon routinely covered for and positive tests still has a free pass. It would take an entire issue to go into various outright lies, distortions, and changing stories I've went through and covered that subject. Okay. So based on the phrasing, that wrestler at the end has to be on the active roster, right? Miss Warrior. That's what I was about to get to. And we know that Warrior basically got a free pass. Like, we have the drug tests. So that has to be Warrior, right? Yeah, and that's probably direct from Linda. Ma you mean Mom? Mom, yeah. What a weird relationship. Of all the weird Vince relationships, Warrior might be the weirdest. Well, it's Linda, you know? Well, Vince I mean... and Linda, yeah. I mean, also since... <laughs> Warrior was lacking a father figure growing up much more than he was lacking a mother figure. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to get into analyzing it or anything, but... Um, uh, yeah. Still, that she saw, it's one thing to act to be like, oh, you're like a mom to me. It's another to sign your formal memos mom. <laughs> um, but that has to be Warrior, right? Yeah. All right, so moving on. One top draw was Russell Hogan was spotted the week for the research squeezing urine from a visine ball into his testing cup. During his ex frowned but looked away. This brand was a reference to Sid Udy. Udy was, in fact, suspended. The funny thing was, he was already quit before he was suspended. The statement was probably unfair in that the person who allegedly did that was suspended. Even the suspension was delayed about three weeks. That's still shady, though. Yeah. Tom Hankins. Hankins wrote a letter to the newsletter just after uh, Barry Orton went public because he was so infuriated with a man saying that Orton was a liar. He told a story of him drinking with Pat Patterson and asking him for a shot at doing TV jobs. Sam Patterson said the chances were slim and none, but there was one way. Hankins had come out of nowhere with the story. A good friend of Dave's knew the story well. He heard it years ago. Dave doesn't any question the incident took place, pretty much as Hankins described it. A friend of Dave's, he believed Patterson was kidding in that situation. Dave talked with Hankins later, and he said Patterson was serious. Hankins said he called WF when it happened, and McMahon then returned his phone call. Logically, in that time period, if Vince McMahon received the phone call from an unknown wrestler, the odds are tremendous that he would not have called that person back, 
So that is believable. If Hankins claims he called Dave to tell a story, Dave believes him. If a man claims he never heard the story of Hankins, Dave believes him also. Okay. I think that last part is fair, you know, for the stated reasons. Um, but like we were talking about a few minutes ago, as far as the idea Patterson was kidding, which Dave would kind of continue with over the years, it's twofold. One, not as much as with the physical touching allegations, but still applies. Does it really matter if he was kidding? No. The other thing, though, is why is he kicking him out of the dressing room at the next show if if, if he was kidding? Exactly. So, you know, Hankins has always been credible anyway. I mean, the other thing, too, is the specific wording. I believe is one of the things Hankins has argued is why he didn't think it was intended as a joke. That it sounds like a come on. Whereas if you don't hear all the details, it sounds like Pat saying, oh, there is one way. The only way that you could get a job is if you let me suck your dick. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. That's when you hear the, oh, maybe he was joking version. That's what it sounds like. But that's, not what Tom says, and Tom has always been very credible and consistent. Yeah. All right. Lord Littlebrook's story. Lord Littlebrook claimed he wrote a letter to McMahon four years ago complaining the midgets were dropped because one of them complained about homosexual pass from a WF executive. Littlebrook said his story numerous times, but does have a copy of the letter. He was pretty adamant, and Dave can't believe he'd make up a story like this. Dave doesn't believe that's why WF has used midgets since then. The dropping of the midgets coincided with the bushwhackers being brought in and doing the comedy routines that midgets were previously used for. If Littlebrook wrote the letter, it does ruin McMahon's credibility in saying that nobody ever contacted him previously. He told Dave more than once in, in 30 years in the rest of the business, nobody ever, ever made that complaint or an allegation against Pat Patterson. Another statement that has no credibility. I mean, this story just seems credible. Um, I'll say this, though. And we didn't really address this when we were reading the article. If the story is as it was described in Pro Wrestling Spotlight, um, which I think that's where it was. I don't know where else I would have heard this version. The kind of taking his hand and rubbing his finger in the palm of his hand. That's not good. But I do feel like the penthouse version omitting those details makes it sound a lot more overtly like a sexual assault or something like that than the specifics do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, that's a little... That's not great on Savage's part, but it doesn't undermine the actual allegation, where, which I think is pretty credible. Um, so, okay, so as far as the the midget wrestler timeline thing... um, Hold on. Because I'm checking couple that were regulars then, including Karate Kid. You know, later day regulars. Okay, so Chris Tube, at least from what Cage Match has, he's working on and off through the end of 87. Doesn't work again until working one show in Oregon in October 88, and that's it. If we look up Little Tokyo... Oh, wait a second. that This is Cage Match not linking up different uh, Chris Tube profiles. So let's go with the little Tokyo results then. Um, okay, it has several results for him in 87 and other tags, you know, like 
Chris Tube and Cowboy Lang versus Little Tokyo and Lord Littlebrook, which would he have actually been billed as Chris Tube, though? Karate Kid Chris Tube. He They did actually use his real name at times. Okay. Yes. Um, and then, so the, yeah, through October 88, and then nothing until December 89, where there's a short run of shows that's not a pun. At least I didn't mean it to be. And that's it. So that's a year after the Bushwhackers come in, though. I don't know. Yeah. Do, you, do, you, do you think the cause and effect claim is legitimate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's there. You know, I think... I, I would need to check exactly when the allegation is claimed it happened, because the Bushwhackers come in in... When is it? Is it October 88? No. Way later. It's what, you're November? Looking at, you're looking at the... You're, they start doing vignettes of them in December, and I don't think they... I don't think they work a live match on TV match till January. Remember though, they they're um, they're out of Crockett though for the WWF before the Clash Four. Okay, so that's December seventh. Uh, let me check. Real they're quick. on TV. I mean, they're working Crockett TV in November for sure. Right. Okay, I'm pulling. All right. I mean, they're working house shows. Um, they're working house shows. And December 26th is their first house show. Okay. Okay, so they spend a full month not wrestling, basically. Um, so, yeah, until that, you know, those, that, you know, it's two days of double, sh- okay, well, actually, yeah, it's two days of double shots, Christmas week. Oh, no, excuse me, I read it wrong. I read the dates wrong. We're We're getting, it's getting late, I guess. But yeah, he works Christmas week house shows in 89, along with uh, Little Coco and Cowboy Cottrell and Little Tokyo. But that's in 89. So, but that's pretty much the end is the 88. So, I oh, they, see yeah, it. They're, 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 yeah, they last work for Crockett um, November 14th. Okay, so they spent a month and a half out of the ring, basically. Yeah. Interesting. So it, I can see it, but I can also see it not being a cause and effect. I mean, as far as uh, them not using them anymore. I can see it going either way. I'm trying to see when their first vignette aired. Okay. Uh, they, no vignettes aired in 88. Oh. Their first vignette, they debut on TV on January 21st, Superstars. That's as the first far vignette? As far as in, in their okay. match. In a match. Oh, okay. So, yeah, but they had they had vignettes airing before then. But so anyway, all right, all right. Bruno Sammartino story about Melfield's performing sexual act on eleven year old boy. Bruno told a story on Larry King. It was brought up on Donahue. Sam Sammartino hates Vincent Man and vice versa. It's probably true as well. I've been in a relatively small room, but both I can say that this is no work. And if anything, it's an understatement. Would he make up a story like this because he hates Vincent Man so much? Not a chance. And also that he would end up repeating that he had heard the story under oath. Again, Bruno Sammartino's not lying under oath. Um, well, Bruno Sammartino believes what he's heard, but does what he did. He doesn't have a first-hand story, right. Yes, he's heard it, and he believes it happened. Right, and he made it clear in the There's deposition in the Mushna case that it was something he was hearing from a bunch of different people. So I believe he's telling the truth. I believe it was the story going around at the time. Um, really the bigger question, and it's interesting since they talked to Graham, 
well, they, Savage talked to Graham, that they did that. It's not mentioned that Graham says he saw. I mean, he saw the aftermath that he was there that night. Yeah. So, I, either way, I I think Bruno, Bruno in and of himself is legit, and it's fair to have him talk about this to a degree. My Clark story, I, Dave, I didn't get any personal stuff on the show, but I have a story of my own. Clark went on to talk about being propositioned by Garvin, being made promises for full time work, but he turned Garvin down, which shortly thereafter fired. Clark's story and Tom Cole's story are nearly similar. Since two didn't know one another, the very similar accounts are quite interesting. Say by the bell, actually by the confusion, there's so much out of that. There's so much out there. Some which are very credible, but maybe or maybe not relevant. Some which are credible and relevant, and some of which are not even credible. It adds up to the confusion and a tiresome process of trying to ascertain the truth in a sea of deceit. It gets old. People get tired of the story. It just filters away, but it seemingly keeps coming back. And Clark, I mean, he makes the same point we made earlier. So I don't think we really need to rehash that. It, he comes off very credible. Um, overall, I think Dave does a fairly good job looking at these one by one. Mm-hmm. Especially in the context yeah. of the time. Um, there are things, I, you know, like the Rita stuff, he probably could have, with what we know now, could have handled better. But overall, overall, I think it's pretty fair. And now... You know, there's more we're going to talk about later as far as the article itself, how much Dave knows. I don't know, but I mean, I'll say this. <sighs> I'd like to know when he found out about the threats to Alex Marvez, the legal threats, because another sheet writer interning at the New York Times, working on a story about the scandals and getting all these legal threats from Titan to the point that there's no story... If he had the ability to run with that sooner, he should have, and he absolutely should have given more details. Yeah. So, but we'll talk about that more later when Bill Conkle brings it up. And one more thing for this week, not related to Penthouse. Randy Savage is on our studio hall show talking about his match with Ultimate Warrior, and wouldn't you know it, the hall fed him a question about steroids. Savage said he didn't use them, that they were poison, and told kids not to use them, but admitted experimenting with them at one point. Yeah, and I was very many were using a typewriter at one point. For more on this, listen to the main show between the sheets, <laughs> because we cover this in depth there. Oh, Arsenio is our week? Yes. It, yes. Uh, didn't you remember me say that on the plug? I forgot. I forgot. Yes. So we will be playing that clip on the main show and going more in depth with that. So um, there you go. Well, for people who are not listening to this contemporaneously, that is show number three. What is it? 71? 365. Why did I get that number completely wrong? I don't know. Oh, no, because it's, it's we're on Patreon show 70. That's 366, excuse me, 366. Or wait a minute, no, it is 365. It is 365, yes. Um, yes, sorry. It's con- the shows run together a lot. <laughs> yeah, show 365. So there you go. All right, let's go to the week of April, uh, April August 17th. <laughs> Three count, August 17th. And that's all we got for this week. It's just this little thing here. Several sources tell three count that WF attorney Jeremy Devitt has spoken at least twice with Barney. Which, uh, as we learned earlier, was basically to tell him, stop calling me. I shouldn't be talking to you without a lawyer on your behalf. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. All right, let's go to the week of August 24th, Observer, August 30th, and September the 1st. Yes, there's a reason for this. 
<laughs> Dave went to Japan. Yes, for the G1. For the G1, and he's catching up. So mm-hmm. that's what, what this is. All right, from August 30th Observer, HBO Comedy Central is doing a segment on Doyle Scandals. Okay, so has Comedy Central merged with Ha yet? Yeah. I, I mean, has Comedy Channel. Well, wait a second. No, Comedy Central is the merge name. Yeah, it was Comedy I think Ha, ha. ha. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha was done. So I don't think it was ever called HBO Comedy Central, though, was it? No. Even when they had ownership? So what show would this be, though? I would not know. I'm Googling <laughs> early because Comedy I, Central. Because I never today. had it. I mean, I had – we had Ha for a very short time on our cable, mm-hmm. and then they took it off, and then I didn't have – Comedy Central until I got Satellite Dish in 96. Hmm, okay. It was never on my cable package. Alright, let's see. So, I'm looking at Wikipedia. Original pro. Okay, not animation, live action. <sighs> Wouldn't be the Higgins Boys and Groover. Wouldn't be Short Attention Span Theater. Um, okay, some of these weren't on yet. In 92. Yeah, I don't... Okay, that's a regular live action. Nothing that would fit. Nothing... Okay, stand-up, obviously not. Competitive slash game shows, no. Could Dave just be confused, Bix? It is Dave and non-wrestling. Oh, wait a second. We have talk shows. We have Night After Night with Alan Harvey at this time. Or, excuse me, Alan Havey. Okay. Um, That appears to be the only thing that could make sense. Oh, do you remember or know who his sidekick was? Uh, Like I said, I never had this stuff, so I wouldn't know. Nick Bakay. Nick Bakay. Oh, it's Bakay? Okay. I thought it was Bakay. Yes. Well, no, it's Bakai. Okay, so that yeah, looks he, like he the only show it could Nip, be. Nip Bakai did a lot of stuff with ESPN. He was on a Living Color at times. So yeah, yeah, I, I, I always dug Nip Bakai. Okay, so. but yet nothing fits other than this show, at least from what's on Wikipedia, which was an right. iTalk show. Raider Crippler Stevens was hired as a road agent. He may replace Jim Myers, aka George General Steele, who had some health problems. And they believe was temporarily taken off the roads. Well, that's a harbinger. I wonder why Ray Stevens is there. I'm sure that signifies <laughs> nothing that's going to be coming up in the next resort. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess, but it's kind of interesting that it took this long for him to be there. Yes, there is that. Because, I mean, he was booking the AWA of Wahoo in 87 and 88, but now we're in 92. Ray wasn't around. Yeah. You know, WWF after that. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, considering what's, you know, Pat's probably on his way back. Well, he is on his way back. But, I mean, it's just, it's interesting. Yes. It look, I mean, he probably didn't last long, I don't think. So there's that, too. It looks now as though in September, WWF will lose 24 stations. WCW will lose 12. While the bigger losers will be the Global Wrestling Federation. That will lose about half of their stations. Isn't that probably both a Max Andrews thing and a wrestling declining in TV popularity thing? Well, they weren't on during the mornings. You mm-hmm. know, they were they were on afternoons and evenings, mainly on their syndication. Yeah. So infomercials didn't didn't uh, get them. Not as much. Like, yeah. it, not, like it would get WF or WCW. No. And Global's you know, going downhill, and yes, it's not the same Global, so... There's a lot going on there. Yes. All right, the September 1st Observer. Here we go. Pat Patterson, or Pierre Clement, real name, 
Vince Man's longtime right hand man when it came to booking wrestling personnel and angles in WF, who officially resigned and missed the WF sex scandal six months ago, will be returning to work for Titan in the same capacity, according to several sources. Patterson's return is expected to be announced to the wrestlers within the next few weeks. The wrestlers were given strong hints of Patterson's imminent return in the last TV tapings when attorneys were present asking various wrestlers if they had any objections to Patterson's return. While Dave doesn't know this is a fact, one would suspect that wrestlers being asked that question would respond negatively, since if this was being done, the decision really was already made, and unless someone was a really big star to say something other than you never had a problem, and having the problem with his return could be viewed as by some as professional suicide. Though we have house show attendance this past summer without Patterson's official input, although an awful lot of people believe Patterson was never out of touch, and that his input was there all along, was down 35 to 40%. And television raised overall interest in the product will also hit new all-time lows. Do you think that Patterson had input the whole time? No. Do I think it's possible he was still being paid? Yes. But the the quality of the TV and the angles and the booking takes such a nosedive while he's gone that I don't think he was involved. I agree. It, it, his, his hands aren't on that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's different. The TV is dull in the month that he's I mean, gone. And you look at, I mean, he's not there. Bruce Pritchard's not there. So it's like... And Bruce comes back at around the same time, but yeah. Yeah, but, it's about the, but we're talking about though in 92 when, when Pat's Well, Bruce there. also wasn't booking before he yeah, left anyway. He was the, he was around in production. But, I mean, you got... But, but basically it's Vince... And JJ. And JJ Dillon. And whoever else might have been involved that we don't know about. So, yeah. All right, there's a defense of some people who perceive things in a certain way, particularly in the homophobic world, which pro wrestling can be sometimes. In a position of Booker leads to resentment. There's also the defense that Patterson's lifestyle was hardly unknown, and he was known to joke about it. And some of a practical joker anyway. Perhaps someone took seriously what was meant in humor and misconstrued it. Perhaps, but having said all that, there are an awful lot of questions that have been left unanswered. Quite frankly, years back, situations apparently similar to this were mentioned by, often by WF broadcasters on telecast as inside jokes or references to, to certain younger wrestlers as being graduates of the Pat Patterson and Terry Garvin School of Self-Defense when not so veiled comments thrown in about they're behind them all the way and they're teaching them to go behind. Murray Hodgson was the only person to take any legal action on a claim in any, any way indirectly involved Patterson. Titans apparently satisfied that Hodge's case is no longer any kind of a threat, so there are no legal claims involving Patterson. And the Hodge's suit actually didn't mention him by name, Dave didn't believe. From a PR standpoint, Duff obviously feels that this as a new story is a dead issue, or could easily use Patterson in a secret capacity and not have contacted the wrestlers at the last taping and made it obvious Patterson was returning in a power position. Dave's on feeling all this simply. If Patterson never did anything wrong, he never should have been resigned. And Vince never should have accepted his resignation. The man always maintained Patterson's innocence in every case. Whether or not these stories are true or that Patterson was an innocent victim of circumstances, Dave couldn't tell you with any certainty, but he does believe strongly that the man did know with certainty and has all along. Okay. Who is Dave talking to at this time that all of a sudden he seems sure that Patterson, um, not sure, but seems so much more sure than before that Patterson didn't do anything wrong? It's weird, uh, right? Yeah. Um, maybe he saw. Maybe he saw the Patterson himself. I. That's what I was thinking. Um, and then over the years, I mean, he would really de-emphasize a lot of stuff he shouldn't have. He would go harder on the 
he was joking to Tom Hankins. He'd forget about what Tom accused him of. He'd for he Barrio he stuck with until very late. And all of a sudden, when he brought out that Ted DiBiase was there and said it was blown out of proportion, but never said it didn't actually happen as described. Um, as far as the Amarillo thing with him and Garvin, I, uh, but remember Barry Orton also mentioned, uh, you know, lewd gestures and stuff when he came out of the shower. Um, yeah. And also Barry Orton is the only one who, at least when giving the witness statements to Tom Cole's lawyer actually had it sworn and notarized. Well, here's the thing. What has Dave been accused of, you know, recent in recent times of doing, you know, to, to towards Ric Flair? I didn't even think you were going to go with Flair. I thought you were going to say in general with res with wrestlers he likes accused of stuff. I'm just, well, I'm just saying Ric Flair in general. He basically, you know, has kind of turned a blind eye in a lot of boys ways. Boys will be boys. The Flair downplayed. show, yeah. Who who was the big star in wrestling in San Francisco when Dave was growing up? Pat Patterson. Human beings have their ways of, uh, you know, not being so hard on their favorites. It's human nature. Yeah, I'm not blaming him for say, but it's just the way it is. You you're a fan of someone. You have a personal connection to someone in a, in a form or fashion. Sometimes you're going to give them some leeway that you wouldn't give others. Yeah. But, I mean, and uh, and I think that that could be what's at play here with Pat and Dave. Because, you know, again, there's the Chris Dube thing. Like, there's a lot there. It's not just Murray Hodgson and Superstar Graham. And then, well, of course, later on, we had, you know, Piper. Talk about his deal with Patterson. Where he never directly accused him of anything, but definitely acted like someone who had been through something. Um, yeah. There's there's enough smoke to fires. Yes. Now, like, you know, as we said, I think maybe in the first part, do I think with a lot of these his intent was not to impose – do I think there's a chance that his intent was not to impose his will sexually on these people if, you know, we're believing the allegations? I think that's possible, but I don't think it really makes a difference. I think it's possible that the intent of a lot of these things were quote-unquote ribs. But I don't think it matters. It, past the, well, the is it, in, in 2022 world, no. Right. The only, We're in a new world. The only way in which it really matters is, can, do you think this person can become a better person and repent from this? And no. I – no, but you get what I'm saying. Like where if it's a intended as a joke, like I think there's a little bit more leeway for that in terms of can it, this it, person come back from this? But I think that's the only – real well, difference there. I think I think we could say that Pat probably I don't think he, he ever did anything after this. I mean we've never heard anything. So uh, maybe this was what he needed. I mean the only supposition or anything we've ever even heard of was Sylvan Granier and as that far as we know they the were company. already yeah that's what I'm saying. As far, if there was something there they were already together. Yeah it was that was a thing that was already going on. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, again, you, we, we, we talk about this in 2022 eyes, and you can't go back and, and go retroactive. You know, I mean, the way the world was, it's what it was then, but it's not what it is now. 
Well, it still wasn't acceptable, but it was. What's the? I'm talking, about like the I'm, talking about, I'm talking about like ribbing and stuff like that. You know, stuff that was perceived as ribs. Look at oh, all the, okay, I get what you're saying. Look at all the non-sexual ribs. Okay, that was I, was, that, that, I get where you're going was, with that now. Yeah. That was done back then that would be considered assault. You know, or, or even you know, all kinds of stuff that was going on that would be – dudes would be locked up in jail. Yeah. I mean, good lord. Look at some of the Kurt Hennings, the Kurt Hennings stories, the stuff that he was involved in, the stuff he did, you know. I mean, it was – it was the boys will be boys and stuff like that, you know? I mean, but nowadays if something like that happened, somebody'd be arrested. You know? Yeah. And Pat Patterson, his type of ribbing was in the sexual way. And the guys the guys kinda I mean, the guys knew, but you know, sometimes you can go too far. And it does also seem like there was an aspect of fuck you, I'm not taking shit for being gay anymore to it. And testing people. Again, not defending it, but you can you can see why he would have been chastened to the point that he was perhaps a different person after this. But see, here's the deal, the difference in all this stuff. It's one thing to do that, but it's one thing to do it as a boss. That's the other issue, yes. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing. I mean, if you're a coworker or something like that, that's one thing. But when you're the boss and you actually have power over this person in a way, yeah, that's the problem. More than anything else. So, I mean, there's enough allegations out there from different people to say that Pat did some things. Yes. But I don't think there's I, any way his hands are completely clean in this. He's not – but uh, yeah, I, mean, I don't think he's Terry Garvin. No. I don't think he's Mel Phillips, but he did some things. Yes. And, and what we're saying is is that he comes back here, and you don't hear anything again. So, you know? All right. Let's get back to steroids. Confirmation WS Steroid Report, a new issue of Muscle Mag International. It was actually a favorable story about drug testing and steroid use in both WCW and WF. Confirm was reported here several weeks ago in a resident report in the Muscle Beach newsletter. Well, I can only imagine what that's like. That 10 of the 13 WBF bodybuilders, including eventual contest winner Gary Stridham, failed their steroid test six weeks prior to the drug-free WBF championships in June. If you realize a man of complete knowledge of this is still promoted and announced the shows in a way that insisted the audience that these bodybuilders were all drug-free, probably says more about his true character anything at Penthouse Magazine. The story praised the WWF-WF drug testing program, no doubt partially because it's headed by Dr. Marl DePasquale, who also writes for that same magazine, and put DePasquale over by saying how he suspended the bodybuilders without pay for six weeks when he caught them using steroids in its test. Ironically, the fact that the bodybuilders were all heavily promoted on television and in local radio advertising in Southern California as being drug-free when the company doing the advertising knew full well they weren't, Seemed a lost contradiction to the same magazine. Okay, first things first. Wasn't no, that funny? No, Dave. The lying about the bodybuilding show being drug-free does not say more about his character than the Rita Chatters and allegation does. Come on. Yeah, that's that's a little uh, heavy-handed. Yeah. Um. But Dave, but again, this is bodybuilding, and this is this is Dave's think so dave dave has more of a skin in the game in this one sure than in other things sure i guess so um and how as, dare le- he, as how le- dare he claim that these bodybuilders are drug-free when they weren't 
Right, and as legend has it, a bunch of the guys just went back on steroids after they got suspended. Well, of course. Yeah. So, and of course that magazine's going to paint a positive picture on on what's going on here because the got a guy writing for them who is the guy that behind the program. <laughs> so, yeah. So what do you, what do you expect? They're going to bury this guy when he's a writer for their fucking magazine? No way. So, anyway. All right, week of August 31st, three count, September 1st, Torch, September 3rd, Observer, September 7th. Just as we wrote last week about Fairfax Partners as it relates to Pat Patterson, not contacting those who made complaints, they contacted Barry Orton, Orton who expressed shock it took them six months to contact him, but the investigators were very naive and not well informed at all about what they were investigating. That sounds like them playing dumb, though. Possible. I mean, they've been at, unless it was someone who had just been put on it. We know they've been at this for months and months and following people and digging up dirt. So, I don't know. Interesting, though, that they only did this now. Yeah. There were two or three negative, one or two very negative banners directed at Pat Patterson at the Montreal show. Interesting that it's Montreal. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that could go one or two ways. I mean, the thing is, with something like that, uh, do you have people that will be loyal, more loyal than others because of who it is? And you have some that's, you know, they'll get more upset because mm-hmm. he was their guy. Yeah. So there's that, too. So Sir Billy Graham's deposition for his lawsuit against Titan Sports is scheduled for late this month, although it would be no surprise that they'll be postponed. For more on that, listen to the Superstar Graham Show. All right, let's go to Hot Shots, Muckraking Miserable by the Media, by Bill Kunkel, three-count columnist. Has ever a more pathetic job of muckraking been performed by the mass media than the recent bungling attempts at reporting the World Wrestling Federation scandals? Partly through happenstance, but mostly through incompetence. After almost six months in the media glare, the WF reportedly feels secure enough or desperate enough to bring back Pat Patterson. Wrestling has never before been subjected to any serious scrutiny by the American press. It was, to coin a phrase, beneath suspicion. Now we've had covers by major newspapers and magazines throughout the country, from front-page article in the LA Times to Jeff Savage's macho condemnation of WF in a recent penthouse magazine. You only feel much that repeat, repeated volleys in your posts seem to have any in, actual impact on Titan sports. As for Savage's attack on WF penthouse, although it was a remotely hard-hitting and therefore refreshing magazine account of the Titan scandals, it is itself extremely vulnerable to credibility checks. A couple of minor errors can be understood in a piece of this magnitude, but Savage also committed a major gaffe by mistakenly attributing a Tom Cole quote to Tom's older brother, Lee. According to everyone I have spoken to, including several folks who were there when it happened, it was Tom Cole, not Lee, who stood up after the show and declared his undying love and loyalty to the WWF and announced he had signed a contract to go back to work on the cream team, or ring crew. He's no saint, but Lee Cole has been an invaluable source of information to the journalists covering this story, much Nick and Savage included. To shatter his credibility by putting his brother's words in his mouth, Savage cast doubt on the validity of everything Lee has done since his brother returned to Titan. Most of it extremely important work. Who do you think, for example, brought me Barney for the Rough Start Radio Show? Barney is the fictitious name of the Boy Scout who was accused of mighty Mel Phillips of sexually assaulting him at WF Card in Long Island. Guess who helped Barney find the lawyer? Lee Cole. Lee found out about Barney through John Arazzi, who had known about him since May. 
but who has declined to bring him forward, directing him to law enforcement agencies, but mysteriously keeping him under journalistic wraps. It was only the lead contacted me, and I arranged to have Barney appear on Russell Talk that the story broke nationally. From the Wrestling Observer newsletter to the New York Post to a long last pro wrestling spotlight. I don't want to not John, who's a wonderful guy, a legend in the hardcore community, and a personal friend for almost two decades, and a responsible reporter. But John has been attacked relentlessly by Titans bullying bull. He says bull bleep. Bullshit. Been backstabbed by Vince McRusso. <laughs> a man who he thought was a partner and friend has become somewhat and understandably gushy from all this. Earlier this week, John called to tell me about Pat Pat returning to Titan, as well as the great news about the encouraging prospects for a second convention. He also mentioned KVED in Las Vegas has been a nightmare to work with in producing a Wrestling Insiders radio show. Oh, so wait a Dynamite second, Chris. I think that was a weird OCR for gun shy. What was that? Underst- instead of gushy. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Oh, whatever. Continue. Uh, but what I was reading earlier this week, John called to tell me about Pat Pat returning to Titan, as well as the great news about the encouraging prospects for a second convention. He also mentioned KBED in Las Vegas has been a nightmare to work with in producing the Wrestling Insiders radio show. But they had a dynamite show scheduled for the following week, hitting hard on the Patterson comeback. I was proud of him. Then August 29th, there was no show. I called the station, and they said it was canceled. Some guys can't hear to break. Bat the Savage. There's a matter of Jimmy Snuka. The story of Devin Nancy Argentina has been whispered about an inside wrestle circle since it happened in 1983. But what does Zach of the Savage tell us? Which we didn't talk about this and when we did the thing. But that the death was suspicious and that Superfly isn't exactly a brain surgeon, brother. But where does this fit? Much less qualify as a lead item in a story about alleged transgressions by Vince McMahon Titan Sports. The only mention of McMahon in the entire story is how is of how he flew to a company, flew up to a company snooker, excuse me, does this somehow make him a monster? So he's still by a viable employee. Employees not especially bright or tough with the English language at that. When Snooker was looking at a potential murder charge. So what? Lord knows I'm no fan of Vincent Manns, but this kind of guilt by association makes you question only Savage's credibility, but his motives for writing the piece. If Larry King's nose has been any further of Vincent Manns' butt, he would have been smothered. Phil Donahue got so entangled in the morass of issues, he forgot the show was supposed to be about sexual victimization of Ring Boys. With the current affair piece and much of the second-round coverage, Vince caught the real break. Los Angeles went ballistic and reduced a 30-minute show to about 10 minutes worth of stuff that had already been cataloged so often it might, have been it might have come from Sears. Even if the sheets are not immune for criticism. I wish, for example, that Dave Meltzer covered the cream team scandal with the same gusto he's shown for the steroid issue. Steroids are drugs, and the country is temporarily demanded on the subject of non-approved drugs. Given that, I think the most virtual and opponent of individual rights would agree that the Rainboy issue totally eclipses, or certainly should, the question of whether or not Jim Helwig enhances physique chemically, who may pee pee in whose bottle. Or is the charge the Titan Ring Crew chiefs were predatory homosexuals who hired kids from dysfunctional families, took them across state lines, and subjected them to sexual harassment and abuse somehow less important than the steroid testing? If so, this country's values are more bleeped up than I thought. I've also got a gig three counts editor for failing to print a letter sent by the attorney Jeremy Devitt to the New York Times, along with Alice's rebuttal, none of which were ever running the Times. Supposed bastion of journalistic integrity. Seemingly went down the issue. They only wrote meekly to Titan to tell them the mean old Alice is back in Florida where he belonged. The McDevitt letter, which Alice read to me over the phone as a concern to charges sprung from Alice's appearance on Russell Talk, a local radio show I co-host for almost a year, was incredible. 
McDevitt Scree was directed at times because Alice was an intern there while the simultaneously saying things on our radio show that Titan didn't like. The letter's a masterpiece of intimidation through bluff and misquote. And Alice's response perfectly exposes McDevitt for the bully and blowhard he is. Why didn't Alice print this stuff at three count? I do not want this to become a personal issue, the editor writes. This isn't a personal issue, except where Titan has made it one, and that's a lame excuse. Alex, print the damn letter. Titan has shown his true face for once, and you have a metaphorical st- snapshot of that horrible sight. It deserves to be published. Maybe in Fangoria. True, but it still deserves to be seen. That and a whole lot more. Just spoke to Lee Cole, who said he finally got that to Jeff Savage regarding the retraction of the running statement in Chess Penthouse piece. According to Lee, Savage acknowledged that Penthouse wanted him, Savage, to get the retraction, and he was willing to do so. However, he warned such a retraction would give aid and comfort to the Titan camp, and surely Lee wouldn't want that to happen, would he? Here, boss. Jeff's astonishing alternating offer. Lee would fly at Jeff's expense to San Diego and spend five days at Jeff's crib spilling his guts for a book Savage is writing on Vincent Hogan. Sounds like a great buddy movie. Another Butch and Sundance, maybe. In other words, Jeff is saying, I lied about you, Lee, and made you like a lowlife sellout shit. But if you come, if you let me get away with about apologizing over this, I will make it up to you in spades. You can come to my place and provide me with tons of free material for a book I'm hoping will make me a million bucks. And the book will serve as a retraction if it gets published. When it gets published. Meanwhile, the lines in Penthouse stand while the author of those lies tries to squirm out of having to be a mensch about it and admit he screwed up. When journalists covering this multifaceted story show the same level of ethics as the people they are attacking, it makes you a little sick, doesn't it? Well, I got a deal for you, Jeff. How about you correct all the errors in your story? This calls, and I know this sounds wild, macho journalist. It's the ethical thing to do. I told you to be wild. Was Lee lying to me about your retraction offer? I don't know. If so, it'd be the first time he's told me something that I wasn't subsequently able to either prove or establish to my satisfaction was true. One of these days, I'll be writing a piece on Lee Cole's involvement with this. And unless you do something, Jeff, you're not going to come out of it looking very good. Well, Bill Kunkel's going to scorch stuff on everybody here, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, it's called pot shots, so. Yeah, going after, going after Alice Marvez. Yeah. Um. All right, where do you want to start with this? <laughs> Um, the main thing I want to talk about is, is what we, we just really talked about with Dave. Um, you know, he talks about how Dave was more concerned about the steroids in his mind than the child stuff. And it goes back to what we were saying. Dave is, was such a bodybuilding guy. And then that bubble that that is what resonated with him more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And that, that was what his thing was. You know, I mean, sh- should Dave have covered the Ring Boy stuff more thoroughly? Yeah, I, I would think so. Yeah. But, but it's still, this is 1992 Dave, and the bodybuilding thing is still way more in his wheelhouse yeah. than anything else. So that's where he's going to focus more of his attention to. Yes. Um. Okay. So what else do we have here? John Arezzi. I, especially 30 years later, I don't think it's a big deal that he held held off on the Barney thing. It's a minor who's, at first, his parents didn't know he was talking to him. Like, I, I get it. Yeah, that, it's, that's, a, that's a tough situation. Yeah. So I, get, I totally get where John's coming, was coming from on that. Um, 
the Snuka thing, I included it here because it was, you know, kind of in the context of the whole article and, you know, the criticism of Jeff Savage. I mean, there isn't really much that's in there. Its value really ended up being in later years, showing the detective contradicting himself about what Snuka said. Um, it does stand to tick out a little bit like a sore thumb in the context of what's in the rest of the article. Yeah. Especially since there's nothing really revelatory in it. You don't really establish anything. Um, so I, th I think Kunkel has a valid enough point there. Um, Alex Marvez. <sighs> this is Alex being a 20-year-old kid fresh out of capital J journalism school and having it drilled into his head not to make things personal, I think, right? Mm, yeah. I, I think that's pretty clearly the way to look at it. Um, so I, in the context of 20-year-old Alex Marvez, I get it. Um, in the context of the way this stuff is handled now, it, you know, it, Bill Kunkel is clearly in the right. Yeah. But in 1992, I can get why Alex handled it the way he did, even if, I mean, once he got to the point he was going to let one of his columnists talk about it, he should have just run it. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah. That, like, it, it's ridiculous at this point that he didn't. So, get that. And then, now, the person who looks the worst here, though, is Jeff Savage. Yes. <sighs> but do you think that Kunkel's making too big of a deal over these these errors? I think the Cole thing, specifically because of the way Savage responded, is, I think it's, I don't think he's overdoing it on that, no. Alright. Because Lee called him out. He's like, okay, well, I could, but then that would benefit Titan, and da, 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 da. so he's doing that. And then if this, you know, which I must, you know, like Bill said, you know, anything that Lee told me to that I could try to prove to my satisfaction was true. So I buy what he says here, which is a shitty way to handle things. Also, if he had a book deal, it didn't go anywhere. My thing is, is that I mean. If if Lee Cole's not making a big deal about it, then why should you make a big deal about it? Well, by this point in the summer, Lee Cole's not as visible as he had been earlier in the year. Anyway. Yeah. He's not necessarily on radio shows, regardless, or anything like that. Um, but, you know, the thing that's coming, the, the thing that, you know, is being talked about here, you know, that we haven't touched on yet, is the... The thought about how they now can bring Pat Patterson back because enough time has passed and they don't care no more. Yeah, and also the media doesn't care. Well, we'll more on, we'll have more on that in a minute. Also, there's the part about uh oh wait I lost my train of thought. Where was I going with this? Um, we had we had the Barney. We had how Lee Cole putting him in touch. Wait, there was something. What was there something else here? There was something else here earlier on. I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, oh, the Donahue thing. Kunkel here appears to be the only time that anyone points out that the Donahue episode was supposed to be about the Ring Boy stuff, and it barely gets talked about. Yeah. You know, because the it, it, title it, of mean, the episode is about the Ring Boy scandal. But it became it became more about, you know, Murray Hodgson and all other stuff. Let me... Fresh my memory. What's the official title of the episode again? Yeah. Pro Wrestling Empire hit with Teen Boys Sex Scandal. 
I mean, it's it's talked about at times, but it's it's more about it's more about everything else. It's more about Barry Orton and Murray Hodgson and Tom Hankins and all that and everything else. But even I mean, the only time that Phillips is mentioned in any real way is Graham bringing up the the Allentown parking lot thing. I think the the big problem is the Colt. You know that Tom Cole was supposed to be part of the show, wasn't he? No, that's the well, that's the thing. Tom Cole was never supposed to be part of the show. Um. <sighs> But there was the whole thing with Vince wanting it planted in the audience and everyone, at least the, that's the thing. The guests figured it out. Donahue and his producers would not be privy to that. So it's weird that Tom Cole never comes up at all. You get why the guests don't bring him up, but you don't get why the show doesn't bring him up. Yeah. And... Who knows how different just awareness of the Ring Boy scandal is if the Donahue episode actually focuses on that, too. But the thing is, how are you going to focus on that, though, when you, when you actually have the main person involved in the studio and oh, you as far as bring Vince. them? Bring oh. them. No. I'm talking about you got Tom Cole Well, no there. one knew he was there other than Vince. I know, no one knew what he looked like. I know, but how, how – if they did make that show all about that and – it comes out that the guy that's the main focus of the show is sitting in the crowd and no one knew but Vince McMahon. That would have made Donahue like a, I mean, complete joke. Well, no one would have known outside of wrestling newsletters, though. It would have got out. It would have got out. You think it would have gotten, you think what happened would have been a, gotten out as like a New York media story if. Because if the they focus the whole show on that, yes, if they focus the whole show on that story and you have the guy there and he's never involved in the show, you know? But who's to know that? That's what I'm trying to say. How I just don't get how it's happen? an embarrassment is what I'm saying. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That'd be a major embarrassment. If no one knows mind. what he looks like? If they found out that he was there and they didn't know he was there, oh, that'd be completely embarrassing. Well, they did find out though, and Glavin's standing there when. But again, the sh- yeah, but again, the show wasn't all about it though, so it, it wasn't as bad. And uh, but apparently, he still turned white as a ghost when Tom. But Bolton yeah, had. but I'm just but but I'm saying if it, well, just think how he would have turned out that they did the whole. Uh, well, whole okay, yeah, okay, I get your point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, that's the other thing, though. If His name would have come up if they devoted it to the Ring Boy scandal, probably even if the guests didn't bring him up, though. And then Vince would have done his whole Perry Mason moment thing. So it would have been before the end of the show. So it turned it, – for Bill Kunkel bitching about that, not him being, he better be glad. He better be glad it didn't turn out that oh, way. Imagine Vince what Vince would have looked like if Vince got to do that. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Absolutely. So Bill Kunkel better be glad that didn't happen. But I mean, Kunkel's got a lot of valid arguments, absolutely. But I think he's also a little too boisterous here on some of his things, and I don't know. He's he's talking tough. <laughs> he's talking tough. So, and of course, we didn't talk about the snooker thing. So, but it, I mean, that that's something where I mean, that's part of this, the whole article. That if you don't have all that right, then that really clouds the article even more. So, anyway. All right. So, uh, let's continue now to excerpt from Life Comes With No Guarantees from Mark Madden, Torch columnist. 
Yes, and this Titan is, Gate. This is closing out the show too. Titan Gate, rest in peace. The national media and wrestling fandom sit on the end of Titan Gate recently by largely ignoring the recent penthouse article, which summed up all the death scandals and threw it into a new one. Uh, threw in a new one the boot, namely the long rumored murder allegedly committed by Jimmy Snuka. It was a well-written article, by the way. Frankly, more detailed and entertaining through the use of graphic language and descriptions. Not quite as good as the same issues penthouse form, but darn good nonetheless. <laughs> Ah, yes, Penthouse Forum, always a highlight of uh, every issue of Penthouse. Anyway, no one cared, or cares, so Vince, you got away clean. Patterson, Garvin, and Phillips didn't, but you did, and more power to you, as if you don't already have enough already. You are an amazing man, a man earning more day by day, a twisted kind of respect from me. You not only create fantasy, you alter reality. I don't like you, I don't want to be like you, but you are amazing. The general public perceives the people involved with wrestling as less than human. Perceives people that fall wrestling as less than human. And the drum public doesn't care about people that are less than human. Let them molest each other, rape each other, sexually harass each other, even murder each other, they think. Who cares? No one. Titan Gate will turn out to be just another sensational clip in Geraldo's video file. History will remember it, if not with outrage, but with curiosity. If it even remembers it at all. Hey, maybe Vince will carry the work all the way through, pay off his, all his accusers to recant. And get everyone to believe his wrestlers were on Ico Pro all along. Watergate ended with Richard Nixon out of power. Titangate ends with Vincent Man in power, more so than ever before. And it ain't likely to change. I'd like to dedicate a special quote, to, however, to Tom Cole, the ring boy, wrong youth, whose silence was rewarded by Vince with chump change and a chance to work with the same people who stood by while he was allegedly molested on a regular basis by the Day of Cream team. I forget who said it, but it goes like this. A whore who enjoys the work is no less a whore. That's it, folks. Titan Gate is over. Time to move on. Well, I was with them until that last part. <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've <laughs> heard prostitutes, you know, say, yeah, I'm proud. To, I'm proud to be what I am. Well, uh, yeah, obviously, he's a he was victimized, though. I mean, I, I get the point he's trying to make even 30 years later. But Jesus Christ, dude. Um, otherwise, though, I mean, he's dead on with everything else he's saying here, though. Yeah. And even today, the Vince thing, as we've said before, to the current Vince story would not be what it is if it wasn't involving money. Oh, if it I wasn't involving you... the money, if it wasn't involving company money, it would not be what it is today. That is why it became what it became. I can tell you to an almost factual certainty that that story does not happen in the Wall Street Journal if it if if, if not for the hush money payments. If they were not a publicly traded company as well, this doesn't become the store. Or even not if there was no hush money payments. Yeah. The money is what makes it. And see, that's what we don't we don't really have here. We do, but we don't. Because, I mean, they, Tom Cole, they just gave him a new contract, okay, yeah. to come back. Murray Hodgson, you know, that's a whole, you know, whatever on that one. This is millions of dollars being paid out to people, you know, for to, to try to hide, you know, things happening. Yes. Hush money. That's totally that, – that, that is what's taken Vince down in 2022. Yes. Not, the sec, not the acts of sex. The money paid off to cover it up. Yeah. That's what's done it. Yeah, and, and that's the reason this is actually sticking. 
Because they're a publicly traded company, and it was a company money thing. Even if it wasn't directly from company accounts, which they're still claiming it was not, apparently that's a distinction without a difference as far as regulatory purposes and stuff. So, all right, so to bring this home now, after four parts, you know, we close with this. I mean, I feel like in the columns, you know, your Wade Keller, Bruce Mitchell, Mark Madden, Bill Kunkel have pretty well summarized this across the four shows, but there was a signal-to-noise ratio here, for lack of a better term. Because there's so much different stuff being lumped in together that especially since it's not being covered in that much national media, so much of it gets lost. Yeah. Whereas in this store we got now, it's all about the hush money. Mm-hmm. So that's, again, you have a focused subject. Yes. That said, even now, though, you have a lot of people who either clearly didn't read the Wall Street Journal stories or didn't have any comprehension when reading them. Because look at how many posts and tweets and comments we see from people defending Vince who are, even after the second Wall Street Journal story, are talking about him just giving payoffs to women who he had affairs with. Which is, at this point, is not the allegation anymore. No. You know, one of the allegations with the NDAs is sending, uh, you know, non-consensual news. The one with the unnamed talent was that the sex act was coerced, and then when she didn't want to do it again, she was, she was disciplined and fired. You know, that's not alleging something that's otherwise consensual but has a power imbalance. That's that's different. I mean, and then, you know, the the paralegal is a little hard to judge because the after the first article, you go by the framing of her friend who sent the email to the board, and it seems like at least the Vince... It seems like both parts might not have been entirely consensual, even setting the power imbalance aside based on how it was phrased. You know, the Johnny, who knows what to make of the phrasing about John Laurinaitis and being passed off like a toy. Well, um, I think I think that, that the framing of her is that, I mean, she was having sex with them and, I mean, she basically was all but, you know, the way the framing of it is, is that she was like, well, I'll, I'm going to talk if you if you don't pay me. Well, uh, that's not even where I was going with it. Where I was going with it is, like, it's not said, but it sure does feel implied in the second story that she and Vince had a thing going before she had the job. Yeah. So, uh, the Vince... Vince and the paralegal seems like it's, there's a chance that might have actually been entirely consensual, at least at the start. Um... Who knows what to make of the Laurinaitis thing? And the, Well, here's something else, too, based on the way that it was written. I feel like people didn't notice this. Apparently, she got her NDA and her payoff before she left WWE. She was still working there when she got the NDA and the payoff. Yeah. So, even now, though, you have people... I mean, that's just a problem with news consumption in general, though. That's not specific to this scandal. Um... So as far as, you know, other issues, though, I mean, I, you know, goes to the thing I've always said, though, about why, like, especially the Ring Boy stuff wasn't more well-known. <sighs> Look at how little of this stuff was in national media, in any form. 
again, but again, again, it, it, it goes back to what, what I said in episode one, and it still holds true to this day. It's wrestling. It's, 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 not, it's not just that. It's, it's not just wrestling. It's homosexual rape. That is that is such in 1992 a, the male male aspect in all of it was going to be a hurdle. Yes, even now it still is. You know, it's just something that people don't well, like I, talking about. You know, they don't. It's like they don't really. I don't want to hear about it. Or you know, it's and you got that, and then you got something that's always going. to, You know, that's it's, it's it's something that doesn't. It it's like they. I don't know. It's, it's just odd, and it's also odd for get to. It's odd for women to react to that too, I think, as well. Because if it's man against woman, then women will get will be more passionate. And also, well, and every every woman has a story. Yeah, exactly. Because women have more of a connection to that to that type of thing happening to them. Because more than not, it's happened probably just by every woman around that they've had some type of guy that's been a, a douchebag asshole and done something sexually either said or did or whatever but when you have something like this it's it resonates differently with different people and i do think the child abuse part would land more today without the man on boy part being as much of a hurdle to people's understanding or whatever and, and, and i'm saying yeah today today it it could, but it's still not. It still wouldn't be what it should be. If you get what I'm saying, I kind of get what you're saying, but if it people had been are still more uncomfortable. Totally, totally different. People totally are still a little more uncomfortable discussing it, though. Yes, exactly. It, it'd be totally different. Which because, also, it, it, yeah. I mean, let's just say it, like. Being that this is a huge scandal with wrestlers who were working in the territories and stuff, it is kind of amazing that no one that there were no women who had been underage who came out and accused anyone in WWF of anything during this period. Here's the thing, you know, I, I mean, I know it's been a long time since these shows aired, but still, they they I don't even know if they even air them anymore. But I mean, to catch a predator, okay, yeah. when 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 they when they were going on, and then when they had this big Twitter renaissance, which I you know. I was one of the people that was doing that in the early days of Twitter. That was one of the big things was on Sunday nights, TCAP, hashtag TCAP, you know, on MSNBC. We would run there to catch predator marathons. The discourse would always be, you know, how the reactions, how different the reactions are between the guys that are chatting with girls between the guys chatting with guys because the guys chatting with the young girls, it's all, you know, uh, you know, so creepy and stuff like that. Then it's the guys chatting with the boys and everybody's like making jokes and laughing. Well, they also so would make a point of airing more outlandish guys. I know, but I'm talking about the, I'm talking about the viewers watching it, sure. the viewers mentality and tweeting about it and stuff like that. Just talking about it. The, it's like the whole tone was different. Sure. You know, it was a different type of tone among people, mainly guys, where they were just like, you know, they, it would be a laughing matter. It'd be a joke. Like, look at look at that guy. You know, I mean, and it was it, it, it just it's just one of them things, and it's I don't know. 
I don't know what can be done to change that mentality. I really don't. It's just it's it's just different. I I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's very weird. I mean, and I, I don't know. I mean, but still, yeah. You, I mean, it, it comes down to it. If the, if that story happened today, it definitely would be treated differently than it was nineteen ninety two. Absolutely. Yes. All right. So. In terms of at least mainstream and tabloid media, in the four parts we did here, I'll, I'll go first and then see what you say. What do you think is the biggest media failure we saw here, at least from an, an individual institution? I, I, I'm, I think I'm Geraldo. Geraldo in what way? Rita, having, having Rita mixed in with all that bullshit. Okay, that, that is up there. Um, because I mean, she's up there spilling her guts out there, you know, ha just crying, talking about being raped on a show surrounded by not just Murray Hodge and his bullshit, Morgana the, the kissing Morgana bandit. the kissing bandit. You know that that more than anything else, that was a, a big abject failure. Yes, even more than Donahue and some or anything else. But now from the traditional news media, though, L.A. Times being the biggest paper to really cover any of this stuff, that they went so hard on Hulk Hogan and cocaine and all that and didn't think about revisiting and redoing the article when the other stuff came out, that I think was also a huge mistake. Well, you know, uh, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing, though, with that. Here's where I'll, I'll differ with you on that. In their mind, what what is their abject goal? What is the goal of New York of the Los Angeles Times? How do you mean? What is? Oh, sell what, newspapers. What do you think is going to sell more newspapers? Juicy bits about Hulk Hogan doing cocaine or sex uh, sex abuse? I don't know if any of that was even on the front page, though. I mean, still, still, though, what's going to? Sell I get more your point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, trying to think anything else to throw. I mean, Donnie. I mean, Donnie. You kind of. Junking the Ring Boy stuff, I think, it belongs to. But you know, we already yeah, but talked again, about that. Yeah, but, but, but again, I worked out in the end, and kind <laughs> of, yeah. Um, um, I mean, but but yeah, I mean, it, my thing is, and 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 I think I'm, I think I'm right on this is the Geraldo thing, because I mean, poor Rita Marie. Yeah. You just make you you feel so bad for her that she's up there surrounded by all that trash on the stage. Yeah. And she's up there, you know, just spilling her guts, yeah. telling her story. And the crowd, it's just, it's so lost in the crowd that you had this moment when you have all this other shit going on, you know? Mm -hmm. That's the thing to me. But anyway, four parts. And, and good Lord, who would have thought? <laughs> who would have thought in, in April... When we started this series, that by the time we finished the series, that Vincent Mann would basically be persona non grata. Due to a sexual misconduct scandal. Ba you know, no longer in charge of creative. No longer the CEO. And as, as of today, as we record the rest of this show, supposedly forfeiting all of his stock. Well, not all of it. Some stock so far. Well, was whatever. But still. Forfeiting stock. I mean, 
insane, insane how things can happen. And, um, wow, this has been quite the series, folks. And like I said, we, we were not expecting all this to happen no. when we started this in April. And um, Between the Sheets, Patreon is notorious for their timing. And uh, we struck again. Absolutely. Yes. But we're done now. We're done with Titan Gate 92. It's time to move on to a totally different topic. Yes, and not an anniversary either. Not an anniversary either, but it's kind of playing off something that we have previously talked about. As next month on patreon.com slash between the sheets, we're going to play off a thing we talked about last year. If you remember last year, we discussed uh, WCW in 2001, basically, early late 2000 through 2001 being for sale. And we talk about everything going on there with Fusion Media Ventures, Eric Bischoff and all that, and all the stories there of how WCW, you know, was for sale. Then eventually all the stuff happened where they were bought by Wrestling Federation. Well, we're going to backtrack a little bit. So we're going to talk about another series of negotiations involving WCW in the year 2000 with SF. X. Well, not just SFX, also Mandalay Bay Entertainment or what, or Mandalay Entertainment or whatever. Mandalay it was Entertainment with Eric Bischoff, which turns out so, to I think morph into Fusion kind of, but basically it's we're going to cover all the WCW sales stuff from before where the previous show started is what we're doing. Yes, so there's gonna be a lot of interesting stuff to talk about here on this show. Believe me, a lot of interesting stuff. So. um it's going to be a totally different thing from the last four months, which is what we want to do, go to a different direction. And, uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that show when it comes out in August, and we'll see how that goes. I, I would think you'll be a one-show one deal. We'll see. I mean, I would hope so, but we'll see. I mean, I mean again, we don't I have, haven't started the notes yet. No. It's all how the notes end up going. But, yeah, we'll see. So that's all we can say. But, uh we definitely appreciate all of you for uh, listening to these shows and make sure that you tell other people about them. Let's get more pa- patrons. Let's keep this thing growing. So we appreciate everybody. And Bix, of course, I appreciate you heavily for doing all the groundwork on these shows and uh, getting the notes done. It's awesome. Thank you. This is Chris, and I'm saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Stay-